Hello. You're listening to the Eric McKenna Project. Chris, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's kind of freaky to hear that voice <laughs> on the other side of the table from me. With a I face. I will tell you. It's awesome, though. Thank you. And uh, humbled. Thank you. I'm humbled. Uh, any problem finding a place? We're no, in. not at all. Yeah, not at we're all. We're okay. Yeah. So, my friend, there's uh, quite a few areas I want to talk about. Obviously, the rock and roll thing is near and dear to me. We'll get into that. Sure. Um, Eddie Van Halen. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a bummer. I know. That's a bummer. So still mm-hmm. surprising, although you knew he was sick. Um, when it when it came over, it it hit my, you know, fifteen year old self right in the in the heart. You know. Yeah, I, was he hiding the illness or not hiding it? But were they kind of being very tight lipped about it? Because I was surprised that David Lee Roth was even tight lipped about it. You know. Yeah, somebody had said to me, "I'm surprised he didn't say anything." I said, "Well, I think when you know somebody's towards the end, yeah. that you respect that." You know, I mean. Dave can be an idiot. Um, I mean, in a, in a good way. A lovable idiot. And, and, you know, flap his gums all the time. But I think knowing how serious he probably knew it was towards the end. I mean, yeah. I, I from what I've read, the last couple of months were, were pretty brutal. So, but um, yeah. boy, what a loss. What a loss to the music community, for sure. Music just isn't like that anymore. There there aren't any, there's a handful. I, I can't even really name like one guitarist Mm -hmm. Jack White when he was on Saturday Night Live there you Mm -hmm. go Uh, there is a guy who who is a great guitar player but there's not a lot of really guitar based rock bands anymore every every generation has one or two they say but he was multi-generational like he was the game changer yeah of course I I, you know I remember hearing Van Halen's first album at a party and I'm like what (laughs) what is this who is this and then you saw how cute he was. I'm like, wow, okay, that's that's. Well, then David Lee Roth was like sexy. So, but I mean, what he did was just sounded so good. I mean, you hear Little Dreamer and yeah. I'm like, wow, this is good. And then when yeah. you saw him play and the finger, you know, uh-huh. tapping, uh-huh. whoa, Nelly. Yeah, never did you, did saw you anything see them like early? that before. Did you see the early Van Halen? Yes, I saw them. Uh, first time I saw them was in '81 on the Diver Down tour. Okay, and then I've seen them every time since then. Doesn't okay. matter who's singing with him, Gary Sharon. <laughs> Gary Sharon. <laughs> the janitor at Star Lake, whatever, you know, I saw them he all. He was there so. for one album, right? Yes, that was Mid-90s? it. Mid-90s? Yeah, yeah. What was the name of that Didn't album? go over very, I three. couldn't even tell you. I think Van Halen yeah. three. Yeah, didn't go over very well, though. Was it really that bad, though? I thought the guitar work was pretty good. Oh, well, of course, of course. But, you know, uh, you know, if you read any of the books about Van Halen, yeah. Um, yeah. I love reading uh, the, the not necessarily bios, but books mm-hmm. about bands and mm-hmm. things. I read Sammy's book years ago. And if you read about Sammy's perspective of Van Halen, it was uh, very interesting, very interesting. Because Sammy's all about the business. Guy okay. is a genius. Okay, a genius in, in how he uh, how he ran his life and his business. I mean, he's a, a bazillionaire because yeah. of all the crazy Tequila things he's done. He Tequila, rum, but right. back in the day, he owned apartment complexes. Okay, then he realized with touring, wow, we really kind of need to have a a travel agency for rock bands. That that's their job. They get rock band from A to you know Z and and okay. wherever they need to go, buses to pick them up, limos, whatever. It was like a full encompassing uh, travel agency for rock bands. I did not he know He did that. that. He uh, would ride bikes in the mountains, and he realized mm. we need mountain bikes. 
So he opened up a mountain bike store. I mean, the guy's a genius. So he's a visionary. Yes, very much so. Yeah, beyond the music. Absolutely, absolutely. I thought it was an amazing thing when that happened. I don't know what your thoughts were when they announced that. I was a little, little distraught because I was such a David Lee Roth fan. I didn't get that that album that he did in the mid-80s with uh, the 50s music. He did a hot... And oh, uh, Heat Wave or Just, just like, a Gigolo? Oh my God, I love that. Did you really? I love, yeah. I love Louis Prima. I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, when, when people say I love all types of music, I seriously it, well, do like all I types get of music. It, but it might have been the fact that my parents were starting to like... I looked at my folks and my parents were digging David yeah, Lee well, Roth yeah, and I was like... Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is it's like my dad's like, hey, wait a minute, this is Louis Prima. I'm like, no, not dad. It's David Lee Roth. And he's like, that idiot with a big long. I'm like, yeah, Dad, that's him. You know, you got a poster in your room. Yep, that's him. Do you remember when you heard that David um, was le- was leaving? Number one, but yeah. then and MTV was kind of coming in their own then too. Right. We were getting information that way. But, that, but right. then when we heard that Sammy was the selection, did that take you for a loop? It did, simply for the fact that I had seen Sammy numerous times. As the Red solo. Rock or Solo. Yeah. Montrose as yeah. well, too, I think, early well, that, on. Yeah, it was early on, a yeah. long time ago. Yeah. That's when, really, Van Halen started. It was in the in the mid-'70s. Um, but, yeah, with, with um, Sammy Hagar, I'm like, ooh, he's such a great solo artist. I mean, you'd go to his show, and people would throw things up, and he'd, he'd pick it off the stage, and he'd, he'd talk about lollipops, condoms, whatever it was, you know? And <laughs> he was really, really good at that and just really engaging with the crowd. And I was like, okay, how's that going to carry over to Van Halen? But me, frankly, love Sam, but love Sam as a solo artist. I thought Van Halen's music rocked harder with David Lee Roth. And when you're looking at a lead singer, you want somebody who can be an ass, has swagger, ladies love him, the guys love him, mm-hmm. and he just, you know, yeah, he's, you know, the poofing the hair up and right. all that stuff. And David Lee Roth basically was, described him. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when you're looking at a lead singer for a rock band, he's the guy you want. He's the guy you want. I mean, he's, he's great. Is he the best singer? No, he's not. But, you know, he had that whole package of... Uh, I remember years ago working at DVE, we were, uh, husband and I were coming back from the charity jam one night and, and he's there, oh, geez, he goes, you know, we they need to step it up a little bit and do something different. And I said, I completely agree. I said, if we could get one person, one rock star to possibly come in and be a part of the, of the charity jam, what do you think? And he says, we both looked at each other and said, David Lee Roth. So that was my mission. It took two, three years to make yeah. it happen, yeah. but it happened. And uh, what a show that was. It was so much fun. He's completely off the rails. Oh, David's nuts. I, oh, yeah. But he's a smart nuts. No question. He's, he's very no, intelligent. No doubt about that. And, he, you know, he's just, he's still a little out there. But, what a crazy yeah. life, though. Like, even, like, the last 20 years, like, him being the paramedic in New York City. Yeah, and then dog trainer for, like, border collies or something like I, and, that. And, and I don't think he needs the money. No. So and now do- he's doing Japanese art. Have you seen that? I have not. Yeah, that was on uh, CBS Sunday Morning a couple weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. I, I've He's been on Joe Rogan's show twice, the oh, okay. long-form podcast. And I think Joe had him on about four months ago. And if you don't like David, I can see where the casual uh, viewer would right. watch his style and right. lose their mind because he is just kind of sometimes difficult to take for a long time. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but- when when you interview him, it's kind of like what David am I and what David am I going to get? Okay. You know, so you you get the David who's very funny and silly and then you get kind of that Dave that is like so intelligent or he sounds intelligent, but what he's talking about is Right okay. field, yeah. So. Okay, and I've had a couple of friends uh, that have been in the the, uh, the touring business. A couple of folks that worked for Kiss that have also done some solo tours with Dave mm-hmm. and supporting roles. And I've heard some stories that he's 
he's the closest thing to being bipolar with, without actually might not be bipolar, if that makes any uh, sense. No, I, I would see that. <laughs> I would see that. Definitely. Definitely. Wait, back, back when Sammy, um, when Sammy was announced, to me, it was interesting that he humbly joined that band. I'm sure the money opportunity was there for sure. him. But he gave up being the top dog or the spotlight mm-hmm. guy with the guitar. Right. To right. probably the world's greatest rock guitar player. Right. And I thought that was really, that was an act of humility that I don't know a lot of other front men would have done at that time. Well, I don't think Sammy has much of a an attitude. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think Sammy's very uh, uh, egotistical or anything like that. The times I've met him, he's been very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, he seemed like when I saw him as a solo artist that he seemed like a, a really down-to-earth guy and probably realizes that, hey, I'm playing with the best guitar player in the world probably could learn a thing or two mm-hmm. and they wrote great music together i mean van halen's music they with sammy did. was larger than they anything david lee roth did but it's it just was different though right yeah it would be more poppy the keyboards and all that stuff and more love songs yeah you know yeah. that type of thing we're not talking about i'm your ice cream man <laughs> stop you <laughs> passing by get all my flavors guaranteed to satisfy so but yeah oh uh, you know gosh, i mean yeah. so when you look at yeah. you know the van halen early stuff it was more about sex and things like that right. or hot girls whereas with sammy it was more about love songs does yeah, that make sense absolutely yeah were they symptomatic of the time too? The music sure, of the time, absolutely. or did they push the music of the time? Hmm, I'm not sure about that. I think it was just probably what what was happening in music at that time. Okay, you know, trying something different. I'm sure probably mm. the Van Halen brothers were getting a little like, okay, we we need to maybe go in a different direction with a different singer. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then Sammy brings his expertise into songwriting, and mm-hmm. that's just what they ended up with. I have to ask you one question before we get into some other things because I want to. I'll forget, old brain. I'll forget. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Hirsch, and this is a personal question for me. So my dander is up here. I want to okay. let you know because I was a member of the Kiss Army my whole life. Absolutely. Right? And in Pittsburgh here uh, in the '80s, were a lean time for that band because the makeup came off, and we, for the love of you know what, could not get WDVE to play them. Under any circumstances, there was no request line. If you mentioned Kiss, they probably said, "Sure, we'll get them on," and they they would hang up and laugh at us. Why has this town had, I believe, and a lot of other people believe, had a bias toward that band forever? What is it about Kiss that doesn't resonate in radio in Pittsburgh, or am I all wet? I, I no, I um. If I I'm think- all wet. Tell me. It doesn't make sense to me. I started at DVE in 88 and uh, after a year or two became the music director. Right. And I remember Gene and Paul coming on with, with Scott and Jim in mm-hmm. the morning. And uh, right. I remember them coming in and they sat down and, and it was all really about how long they stay is how long Scott and Jim feel comfortable with them. Right. Well, I mean, the four of them are on the air. They're laughing. They're carrying on. The PD walks by my office. You got to get them off the air. And I'm like, why? <laughs> They're having fun. I mean, you're hearing stories from Paul and Jean that were hysterical, yeah, yeah. stuff you never heard before. Yeah. And Scott and Jim are laughing and they're having a great time. And, yeah. you know, but uh, yeah, we did a lot of stuff with Kiss. We did the, um, they did that expo out at the Monroeville Expo Mart. Was there in 95. Yeah, did yeah, that. We yeah. did a, a private party of graffiti yeah. that night mm-hmm. uh, where they played acoustically. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I'd met them multiple times backstage. So I, 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 I get that part. Yeah, I mean, I, we played Domino. I just don't, 
I, it just seemed like that this town ignored it. Now, yeah. when you, maybe some of the event stuff. Yeah. And you folks were always there at the beginning of every concert. You'd pop sure. on stage and did the mm-hmm. promos, which was awesome. But and actually getting their stuff played. I can remember them. I don't know if it was with um, Hirsch. Was it, was it with Jimmy Roach? I remember Simmons actually questioning it, you know, made a comment yeah. by phone, like, you know, it's funny you're having us on. Or someone said, hey, welcome, Gene, and what's funny? Oh, there's funny? nothing worse when that happens. <laughs> he says, what's well, funny, because we, we, <laughs> we don't get any play in Pittsburgh from all our fans are telling us. Right, But right. it seemed to be the prevailing thing. Yeah. Maybe it was all in my head. No, I no, I, I, maybe there was a time in, in the 80s, you know, um, what, 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 Lick It Up came out. Yeah, yeah, Animal, um, Heaven's on Fire, yeah, Tears Are Falling, exactly. all that stuff. And maybe it was just, I, I wasn't at the station at that time time i couldn't tell you see if she had been there tell you a different story well, I, can't, I, don't, I don't know about that but you know, i love kiss i mean i've seen them multiple times yeah. uh, their, their last show was just an absolute blast i was actually yeah. looking forward to seeing them this past summer but unfortunately in the yeah. si- situation they know how to make in, some money yes they do they're, they're gene simmons is a promotional machine but gene's the one who takes all the flack for that when from what i understand a lot of the decisions made by the band are made by paul and have been for a long yeah. time yeah I follow both of them on uh, on Twitter and Facebook yep. and all that stuff. And yep. I, I remember th- right when I first got on Twitter, I don't know how many years ago this was. Uh, the Pirates were in the in the playoffs, and somebody posted a picture of the Pirates, like four Pirates dressed as the guys from Kiss. Okay. And I replied back. I I shared it and I replied back. Hey, you better watch. Gene Simmons sees this. He's going to want a cut of the pie. <laughs> Lo and behold, Gene Simmons tweets out to me, says, don't you worry your pretty little head about it, Chris. We got it all under control. He says, we have a deal with Major League Baseball. Yeah. Gene's got it taken care of. And I just said, oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. They don't he's he's following things on, on Twitter. How crazy. They don't miss a trick. Yeah. I, the thing with Stanley was um, the, the years that we, we were together, I realized that he was kind of like the creative motor behind the Kiss engine, but the quiet one. Yes, where Gene likes yeah. likes the attention and all. So, yeah. so uh, my interaction with Paul was from 2006 on. So, w- tell me about any interaction you had with Kiss and or Paul Stanley years prior, and what your impressions of were. Oh, I, I always just thought, you know, um, to do what they've done. I mean, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, they were every mom's nightmare. <laughs> what were they known as? The Nights, Nights and Satan of Satan's Service, service yeah. you know, and, and all this stuff. And then when the Phantom was on TV, my parents were like, what the hell is Me too. this? What has gone wrong with you, child? <laughs> you know, because I was, ever since I was like in sixth grade, huge David Bowie fan. Huge oh, David right Bowie on. fan. Posters, all that stuff. I had my hair cut like the pinups Ziggy. in seventh grade. And my mother was like, OMG, what has happened to you? Why are you the one? I'm the youngest of five. Everybody else does their thing, and here's me. I want to be a DJ, Mom. No. Yes, I do. No. Yes, I do. So it was like always arguments. But, you know, I always had posters of rock stars and David Cassidy and all that stuff all over my bedroom (laughs) walls, and she just thought I was out in left field, but... You know, teen, you know, sixteen magazine was was big. Cir- Circus magazine came sure. on on the Hip Parader. Those Hip Parade, two kind yeah. of started. Yep, yep, and then yeah, Circus. Um, I buy Rolling Stone once in a while. We never got the good stuff. Like that was more of our. Uh, well, Rolling Stone was more more um, you know intellectuals. Yes, <laughs> and political and talking about you know marijuana and all yeah. that stuff and you so know you so but yeah but I mean I think Kiss just did some amazing things. I mean, and here yeah. we are, how many years later, and they're still doing it. And they do a great job. It's insane. You it's know? like, just talk about a machine. Just sure. doesn't stop. You Absolutely. Know? So talk about uh, childhood for you and your love of music and how it led on this crazy journey. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, but crazy journey. 
Um, childhood. Gee, I grew up in Whitehall. Uh-huh. Um, I'm the youngest of five, like I said. Uh, had a uh, normal childhood, uh, hung out with all my friends in my neighborhood, but we'd always sing. We'd okay. always be singing, you know, we'd ha- we had woods behind uh, neighbor's house and we'd, you know, sing songs down <laughs> while we were playing with trying to find salamanders and stuff. You know, okay. Jeremiah was a bullfrog, <laughs> you know, and the neighbors would be like, well, you kids sound pretty good. I'm like, my God, were we singing that loud that they could hear us like over the hill? But um, just found a love of music, you know, ha- being the youngest of five. I have older brothers and a sister that all like different types of music. One right. brother was all Led Zeppelin, the art rock, if you will, Genesis, yes. Yeah. Other brother was more just the Beatles, really loved the Beatles. My sister was all into, you know, uh, the Commodores and, you know, R&B. brothers Johnson and Rick James and all that stuff. And then my other brother that's closest to me was more just like rock. And every time... I wanted to go see a show uh, it was like I said to my brother Randy I wasn't old enough to drive I'm like okay I buy the ticket you have to take me he goes that's fine so we've been we've been doing this for eons you know and okay so yeah so we went to you know I saw Journey back in the 70s and you know all that type of stuff right. and just uh, uh, just love music played the piano quite poorly but I did play and uh, just I always wanted to be a DJ because I thought well geez if I if I can't play an instrument really well I could still meet rock stars if I'm a DJ <laughs> honestly and that's exactly what happened I mean Peter Frampton <clears throat> I had my hair permed like his wasn't it a great era for music though it was it was and I you know what I, I will you know people say oh you know we're getting old I'm like I don't care I will never trade my age to be 10 years younger, 15 years younger, even five years younger, right. because you know what? Right. Our music was awesome. It sure was. It was awesome. It sure Everybody, was. you know, looked like a rock star. <laughs> even like in the 80s when I worked at Double X, you, you, it was all alternative music. So we were talking The Cure, Depeche yeah. Mode, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. those types of bands. But when you went to a show, Everybody looked like a rock star. Yeah. Everybody had the makeup, the hair, the uh-huh. you know Bon Jovi era, the jeans with the yeah. the cowboy boots yeah, with yeah, the spurs yeah. on them, and leather jackets. And guys had you know crazy hair. They looked just as good as the girls did. Right. But everybody looked like somebody, mm-hmm. and everybody really got into it. Now you don't see that at shows. It's different at all. Now, huh? Yeah. If you if you were to go like a sh- to a show like looking like that, they'd probably toss you in the back of a paddy wagon. But <laughs> I mean, it was it was an era that I will I I'm glad I grew up in had a, you know all the one hit wonders from the 70s oh, yeah. that were on 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 the radio yep. and just AM radio driving to the beach and hearing mm-hmm. songs fade in and fade mm-hmm. out. I mean, people don't know what that's about. Yeah, this is almost a romanticism of. I sound of like I'm 90 life. years old. No, by the way. no, no, <laughs> we're the same age. Like I can I can travel right down there with you, my friend. Um, but that's where, that's where my love of radio came about too. Okay. Was I would listen to disc jockeys, uh, you know, washing the dishes. I loved Roy Fox, who used to be on KDKA. Roy Fox, he had a crazy him? laugh, like Roy yes. Fox. Like the intro was, was a crazy laugh, and he was all night. Like they're talking and, politics and stuff. I have no idea what they're talking Jack about. Jack Bogut in the morning, yeah, right? Yeah, but I just thought I liked him. He was very Roy funny Fox. and stuff, and I'd be doing dishes and listening to him. My mom's <laughs> like, "What are you listening to?" I'm like, "Roy Fox on KDKA." I don't even know if he's still yeah. alive or not, but um, yeah. But I mean, just listening to of course you know jimmy and steve yeah um you know yeah. all the old guys from from the you know the dve era where they oh. talk like this you know that type of you thing you want something and- funny you'll love this the reason why i, I sought out this particular microphone was because uh 
I wanted to sound like Jimmy Roach. This is WDV. Oh, yeah. Well, he always liked WDV. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. When I was offered a job there, I'm like, wow, do I fit the bill or do I have to talk like this? Hi, everybody. You know, so. That might have had a whole new dimension for you had yes, you done that. Yes, yes, I can't be <laughs> you might, sexy. Might, you might sexy, not is, a, sexy is not, uh, my, not my vocabulary. I am what I am. Um, out of high school, I mean, even even in high school, but besides your love of music, was you in your mind you still want to do the DJ thing? Was there anything else on the horizon besides music? For no, you? It, it's always been music or animals, but I knew uh-huh. I didn't have the smarts to be a veterinarian, and I really okay. would have loved to have done that. Um, but I just knew I, I I I just didn't have the biology degree. You okay, know, taking biology in tenth grade and having Oof. to cut something up, I couldn't do it. Ah, Couldn't do it. Okay. I said I will do all the work. My partner had to do all the cutting. I said I, I, can't, I can't do it. And then and then I was in class, like the next class afterwards, and I put my hand into my purse to grab a pen. And here they used to get the I don't know where they found these crickets at for biology class, but they were about twelve inches long. And someone stuck it in my purse, and I put my hand oh. in, and it was on my arm, and I went. Ah! And it just went so I don't think I would bother you. You don't seem that animals would... would... Well, I didn't know what it was. Uh, okay. it, it was dead, but it was just... It, it stuck onto my shirt, and I was like, ah! You know, but, frog yeah. dissection and all no, that I w- stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch it. Don't break the bladder, right? Or don't, because there was like... Remember that thing? You yeah, cut open, and there's like... Yeah, yeah. oh. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so, same era. Same era. I'm glad that stuff is... Uh... Yeah, but I, I didn't no, have... They the, don't do that anymore, do they? I didn't have the smarts to be a veterinarian. Just couldn't do it. So how... Okay, so you come out of, you, you, you come out of high school, like... Where's the career path in your brain? I was looking for colleges that had good radio stations. Uh, yeah. College radio. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I went to, uh, I looked at uh, University of South Florida. They had a mm-hmm. really good radio program at the time. Bethany, I think, had a good co- uh, program. And then Cal U had a good program. And I figured, well, Cal U was at least close. Right. I'm the only one in my family that went to college. So okay. I wanted to be not too far from my parents. And yeah. uh, so I you know, went to Cal U and okay. was on the radio station there and- how was college radio? Oh, it was a blast. I mean, it was. But, we, but the crazy thing is, is that it, I, I listen to stations now and it's like, whoa, you'll, you'll never get a job in radio if you can't follow a format or you can't follow uh, what your boss tells you to do. You know, Today, you, you mean? I, yeah, yeah. Even years ago, I mean, just like a lot of uh, college stations at the time were very freeform. Mm-hmm. So I, you would come in with your stack of records that mm-hmm. you wanted to play, and you played all of them, and then you went home. Well, no. I mean, when I went to Cal U, our program director, we had coded cards. Okay. You, we had categories. Well, it was professional, it sounds like. Yes, then. exactly. So we had to play, you know, this song off a of 38 Specials album, and then you put the card in the back, and then the next song was your choice, you okay. know. Or if you had a new album that came out... Um, the first, in fact, the first band I interviewed while I was in college was Night Ranger okay. in 1984. Okay, and you know, so I I went and I met them after the show and I interviewed them and um, Brad I, Gillis, I, that... Brad Gillis and yeah. Jack Blades. He played with Ozzy. Yes, he did. That's mm-hmm. weird. What a what a yeah what a yeah diverse two groups there. Anyway, yes. sorry. So he he ended up. Uh, I did this interview, so I took it back to the radio station and cut it all up. And then I I did like an hour long special about you know Night Ranger and their new album. Okay. You know Midnight Madness. So, okay. You know, on college I, radio. Yes, yeah, so on college. That's radio. some good college radio. Yeah, we. I mean, we had a great relationship with the Caesar Engler at the time, and uh, had a connection there. And we were giving away the greatest concert tickets. Rainbow. I sat in the front seat for Rainbow. Ronnie and, James. Yes, and and and. Aldenova and Hollow Notes and wow. you know it, yeah it was a lot of fun back early then. Age, mm-hmm. early mid eighties mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but what do you think of new wave at that time 
Oh, I liked it. Okay. I liked it. As a matter of fact, our college ra- our college radio station would play the B-52s Rock Lobster, and we'd get death threats. Like, <laughs> kids would be listening, and they say, if you play that song one more time, I'm going to come down and beat you to a pulp. I'm like, really? Lock the door. You know, but yeah. Uh, I mean, it was out there, but a lot of that stuff was just starting to mm-hmm. creep along, like, probably mid-80s or so, mm-hmm. um, like, right when I was ready to graduate. So There was a lot of blend in that music, though. I mean, it, it came from rock, right? Sure. Absolutely. I mean... Absolutely. I mean, you too. Yeah. I mean, you too just celebrated, what, yeah. their 40th anniversary of their first album, and mm-hmm. uh, I remember, and I, I mentioned this on my Facebook page, uh, Chris Winter in the Morning, by the way. Yeah, we'll get there. Um, it, it was one of those deals where... I remember them strictly being played on our college radio station's Christian show. Oh, you too. Someone else told yeah, me that. Yeah, they were they were kind of known yeah. as a Christian band in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we were allowed to That's play them, right. but they, you know, That's I remember right. the the guy that did the uh, Christian show was all about you too. And uh, right. then they played. There was a band that we played at, at the college station called Ziggurat, and they were in at the decade. And okay. then the next night, we all went on to see the the Ziggurat show. And then the next night, you too play there. I'm like, unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. You know, really. YouTube. <laughs> decade. At the Oakland, decade. Come on. Small stage. And I missed it. Ah. So. I, I saw a Duran Duran show. I was dragged there. I want to say it was 84, 85. 80, Seven what? and the Ragged Tiger. I tour. think it was. And it, it was a snowstorm? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It was terrible. That was awful. The storm was bad. Yeah, it was ice storm. But this, this show actually, as a rocker, and, that, and the crazy part about it was, I think, a night before. Kiss it was at the Stanley Theater Ooh. for the Lick It Up tour. Oh, so I go into this Kiss show, and then I take my girlfriend and her little sister to Duran Duran, where it's nothing but screaming. Or right around that time frame, yeah. yeah. But but they blew me away. Like it was so incredibly good band. Andy Taylor on guitar. Is it Andy Taylor? I think. Yes. His brother on drums, yeah. and it was just a good, you know. I mean, John Taylor is a phenomenal bass, bass player. player. Absolutely. Phenomenal and, bass and Simon's player. Simon's voice, it was yeah. a really great yeah. rock show and right. way heavier live right. than on the album. Right. Way heavier. Like, it wasn't, and it wasn't a pop show. No, not at all. At all. No. So, yeah, Duran Duran was, it kind of opened my eyes like, hey, maybe this, this alternative, not alternative, this new wave stuff isn't so bad. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Until I went to the Thompson Twins. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, see the cure, see Robert Smith grab lipstick and just slap it on his face and then walk off and I'm big white tennis shoes and his hair is like, Wah! but um, But you probably loved everything. Huh? You loved it oh, all. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You I, 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 you know, you, it, even bands I don't really care for, yeah, 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 there's yeah. something about them that you, you have to appreciate. Okay. You know? So um, the X, it wasn't the X then, double X right. was your first. Radio gig out okay. of college. Yeah. And this was this really kind of pre-alternative? Did you join them like right before alternative kind of hit? Because alternative is a funny word for me. Yes. I'm still trying to figure out that definition. Well, you know, MTV was already around. That started in August of 81. So this station started in uh, June of 86. 120 minutes was an alternative thing on MTV. Was that I, kind of a... I can't remember if that was still on yet or not. Okay. I don't remember if that had started okay. yet or not. But okay. the station came from uh, a gentleman that owned us out of New York. Uh, we were an adult contemporary station first. We only had a handful of jocks. It was I was basically just a board op there. And then he came back into town and was like, nope, we're going to switch formats. We're switching it to uh, alternative. But the weird thing about it is is they how they incorporated the alternative we started out playing deep cuts from the who 
from Led Zeppelin, from okay. Queen. Okay. So we were kind of going after DVE's audience there for a while. And then, you know, The Cure started coming in, and we still played The Queen. We played a lot of David Bowie, like obscure cuts from David Bowie, you know, you know, not right. Let's Dance or whatever. I mean, we're talking right. fashion and, you know, yeah. uh, John and Emily dancing and things like that, and I am a DJ and just started to play songs That's like deep. that. And then, you know, kind of get more, and then The Who kind of went away and The Stones kind of went away, and, and then we kind of build an audience from that yeah that was was the alternative genre created by the record companies or was it just the groundswell of just listeners i think it? i think it's probably a little bit of both simply for the fact that you had such a great uh alternative scene in new york city in soho and in the east village and in mm-hmm. those areas you know the blondies and the talking heads and you know all those that would be considered um I don't know how to classify things. Like, I don't know what... I know the Pistols and the Ramones were right. early punk. But, yeah, but that, that that kind of swelled into the Talking Heads okay. and, and Blondie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I say... I'm, I mean, now, what is alternative? Yeah. It, it's not really yeah. anything anymore because things are now acceptable. You're hearing the cure on a top 40 station now. Whereas back then, it was just us playing it. Nobody would touch anything that we were playing pretty much across the board. Unless something really blew up. The one band I, I think of off the top of my head is The Cutting Crew, I Just Died in Your Arms. We mm-hmm. played that as an import. And I remember Dave, uh, the DJ, playing it one night and I was sitting in the studio with him and we were just talking and I was, and he, I was like, wow, this is a really good song. Right. This is right. This sounds like a hit to me. And then the next thing you know, six months later, it's number one across the board all over the country. Yeah, yeah. Turned into a pop song. Exactly, exactly. But it started as an import. We actually got it from the UK. So, When you were there, did you? it had to be an exciting time. As much as you love music, it had to be an unbelievably exciting time. Did, did, you, did you feel the, a groundswell of change coming in rock? Like, I'm saying, you know, uh, Pearl Jam. Did you, not not that at that time. Hadn't no. happened yet. No, not at that time. You didn't no. think that's where you were headed? No. Uh, I mean, a groundswell, yes. I mean, this is a a radio station that still has been off the air for 35 years, Mm -hmm. and we still do these double X reunion shows, and people come, I swear to God, all over the country to come to these shows. And all the people that are playing the music are all the bands that were local, that played in the clubs in Pittsburgh back then. There might be 40 of them. But they all come up on stage and they learn a hundred songs Amazing. for months, and then they perform all these songs, and it's just—it's so much fun. I've—I still get asked more about that than any other radio job that? I had. It's so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. And it was an incredible thing to be a part of because you don't think people are listening. Um, maybe phones aren't as as busy as you'd like them okay. to be, or whatever. And you're like, okay, is anybody really listening at this point? But then. I went from overnights to working middays, and the first day of my midday shift, program director comes to me and says, hey, Dave Gahan from Depeche Mode is going to call you today. I'm like, what? Depeche Mode? You're kidding me. I'm like, I was, I had to tell him, I'm sorry, this is my first radio interview, and he couldn't have been nicer. That is so cool. And he's, he, he, you know, met him multiple times since then, and just a nice guy. But I mean, that was the type of, I mean, we were having... The lead singer of the biggest band, probably at the time we were we were playing it, right. calling into the radio station. Yeah. 
yeah, to yeah, do an interview. Yeah. And I mean, it was constantly like that. Then they started coming into the radio station and the people in Millville were like, what the heck are these people? I mean, there was a band of girls called I've Got a Fuzz Box and they had the craziest pink hair, purple hair, green hair. That was long before anybody started dyeing their hair like they do today. Right. And these girls got out of this limo and <laughs> I got called into the Lincoln Pharmacy the next day. All these elderly people that sit at the counter at coffee, I'd you know, grab a cup of coffee in the morning and talk to all of them and they're like, Chris, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, fine. Why? And they're like, who are all these people you're hanging out with? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I said, it's just there. It's almost like that commercial where the guy walks by with the blue hair. We all see it. We all see it. We all, oh my gosh, she's got blue hair. That's how they were all. all but I mean, uh, these bands would come into town. Yeah. We did all kinds of crazy meet and greets yeah. with them and just had, a, they were accessible. And mm-hmm. they realized that, hey, because of this radio station, we're mm-hmm. getting airplay in Pittsburgh. We we got to we got to work with them as well, yeah. and we did all kinds of shows with them. And you, you know, must have really inside. You must really love music. I do because I do. Y- you know, I think a lot of us end up being musically rigid based upon what we quote unquote grow up with. Right, and that's a that's a seismic shift by the late eighties. That was much different music generally than sure. what you grew up on. I mean, you're looking at 86, 87, 88. 87, 88 is when now here comes the heavy metal bands. The yes, hair, hair bands. metal. And hair I metal. love that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. I followed this band called Kicks. Yeah, they're um, out of Harrisburg. Yeah, I've I have followed them since I was in college right in 1981, on. and I, I still go. I still do. Uh-huh. I I don't miss a show, but okay. I mean, it's just I love a little bit of. I I appreciate. Any yeah. band and what they do and mm-hmm. how they get uh, you know uh, an audience or mm-hmm. what they're out doing on the road, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, I will say that I, what I've seen from Kicks back in the early '80s, Poison pretty much stole half of their show. Mm-hmm. Someone else told me that. Yeah, multiple times. You know, it's like oh, the balloons and all that stuff, guys. Uh, Kicks did that back in 1981, so you're not yeah. doing anything new here, you know. But they had a bigger stage to do it on. So, it, speaking of that, is do you think it's valid? If there's an audience, whether we like it or not, it meets our personal taste or it doesn't. If there's an audience for it, is that its own validity? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Okay. You know. Yeah. I mean, there are times where you're on the air and you don't think that anybody's listening. Like I said, phone calls aren't coming in, but then when something happens, you know, I recently lost my job. Mm-hmm. I was humbled and I was shocked at how many people reached out to me and said, and still oh, send me, and still send me emails <laughs> saying, you know what, with all the craziness that's going on in the world, I really wish you were on the morning show again. Uh-huh. And I'm like, well, I do too, but uh-huh. unfortunately, that wasn't my call. But you know, it, it's you don't think people are listening. Um, I, prime example, <laughs> I was on DVE on a Saturday afternoon, and. I had this uh, uh, copperhead snake in my yard, and okay. my father-in-law picked it up and put it in a bag, and I don't know what he did with it, but I talked about it on the air. Well, like a week later, in the mail, I get this drawing of this guy made, making me look like I'm Superwoman with the snake <laughs> and the sword in my hand, and I'm going to slay this, this this snake. And I just told a silly little story. Never cool, thought. How cool is that? Never yeah. thought that. Or there was one time I was talking about Burton Cummings from The Guess Who. I'm like, boy, Burton Cummings, haven't heard about him at any time, you know, right, lately. Right. That was Now, this is before the internet, obviously, where right. you could Google everything. Right. Some guy, was a guy or girl, I can't remember, sent me about a six-page letter as to everything Burton Cummings has been doing. Wow. And, and you don't think people pay attention, yeah, but they, they really attention. do. They really do. Yeah. I think it, it, do you think it, the same validity can be said if you're a band? 
as well. Like, and the audience is different than a radio station. But if if you if a band, regardless of genre, has an audience, is that validity for them? It has to be. Is it enough validity for them? And they can only decide if it's enough, I guess. But I mean, I guess people slag bands. That's part of the great conversation in music. Sure. You know, you hate this, you like that. Right. And you don't really hate it. You just right. kind of, not your thing. Right. But if an audience goes and pays, that's really the only critical analysis that counts, right? Was Gene Simmons always right? Like, it doesn't, the critics don't matter if people no, are buying. No, the critics never matter. they're buying. The critics never mattered. If, if, if you... If you look at all the great music that has come out over the years mm-hmm. and we based on what critics liked or didn't like, there wouldn't, we wouldn't have Frampton Comes Alive, mm-hmm. every one of us at our age, on mm-hmm. a track cassette, yeah. album, yeah. CD. Yeah. And we also bought the remastered. Of course. You know, <laughs> I, honestly, Frampton Comes Alive is the one album I have multiple copies on multiple formats. Yeah. But I mean, Lines critics on my face, the live version. Of critics mm. didn't like him. Too pretty, pretty boy. Really, you know that I never type knew of thing. That. I mean, I think a lot of times when it came to his looks, it took away from what a great guitar player he really yeah. was. Yeah. Because now there's somebody like me that's got his poster up on the wall. You know, where I I knew he was a good guitar player, unbelievable guitar player. You know, but he was he was awfully darn cute too. Yeah. But I mean, you know that yeah. that's where critics kind of like lost, and, and the critics never took Kiss serious. No, I've at all. Paul told me stories personally sure. about that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So the critics never really matter. It's a, a critic is that's one person's opinion. When you step out on a stage and if 10 people paid to see you play. Yeah, that's validity to me. You, you, you've done something special. Right. You've touched somebody. Enough, exactly. They're, they're paying. They're, they're, they want exactly. to pay to be in your presence or right. experience. Right. Live. And there's nothing more um, interesting is when um, like an Eddie Van Halen passes away and then you hear stories of how how much his music or his guitar playing touched people. I don't care what artist it is. It could be somebody you absolutely despise. But right. to know that, you know, John Smith from this band wrote this song and it really touched my heart when my father passed away mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. what, that is the validity of being a musician in my eyes. Yeah. You know, yeah. that is, that is, there's no higher compliment than somebody saying, you know, your song got me through a divorce right. or right. A, the death of a loved one or uh, COVID. Absolutely. For God's sakes. Yeah. No, no, no. Eight good, months good. into it. <laughs> <laughs> and a bottle of vodka. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Not today. We're dry today here. That we are. Um, boy, but I, I mean, just, that to me is, you want to be- The validity that counts. What matters. Oh, absolutely. What matters. Okay. Critics to me never, never. Okay, so never. on that vein, sure. we're gonna hop around a little bit. I'm, sure. I'm dying to get your thoughts on on the meaning, if there is any, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Jeez, we have to go there. Um, sure, we do. <laughs> we have time. I, I think it started <laughs> off with the right intentions, but I think maybe what they should have done was had the. Uh, I think the. Your ability to get in should have been a, a lot longer of a time, or perhaps a little bit more um, streamlined on who can get in. Okay. Um, I mean, rock and roll is different in all kinds of formats, but you know, when you're letting Madonna in, mm-hmm. now you're letting Whitney Houston in. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, you know, when there's so many band, a bad company is not in. You know, I, I would always be screaming on the air, Chicago. Not in a band that you know with 
Tower of Power mm-hmm. started that whole sure did. horn section sure thing. Did. It took and Deep Purple forever. It took Kiss forever to get him. Exactly. And and they're still out touring and they're still doing oh, it. Yeah. And they're still creating oh, hits. Yeah. How they should have been in decades ago. Exactly. How do you how, how do you ignore that? Yeah. And then then you, you know, then some of the bands they do get in. I remember um talking about it on the air one day, the Beastie Boys got in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, Beastie Boys great band, love them. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Um and this girl writes this email to me and just rips me to shreds. Really? Saying, you know, you don't know what the Beast Boys And I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm always diplomatic, and I, I, I like to have a good conversation with somebody. Of course. And I was just like, well, wait a second. I said, I saw the Beastie Boys open up for Madonna in 1984. Right. And I love them. I said, I just, I said, you're, you're missing the point. I don't, I don't think that they don't deserve to be in there. But when you have Chicago... Bad company, mm-hmm. blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Not in. That's right. my that's my take. I, I'm not saying they don't deserve to be in. They do, but I think there's a, a line of other bands that should be in there before them. That's all. Oh my gosh, yes. You it, know, it's, it's it's a farce to me. I think. Oh it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's um, and it's it kind of turned me sour toward Rolling Stone, unfortunately. Yeah. Because yeah. they pretty much created it, the Yon Winner, yeah, mm-hmm. and then they they mold it the way they want. But it's a right. And I guess any Hall of Fame is going to have detractors, but it really is kind of crazy that we're going to take something that's so rebellious in rock and roll, and the spirit of rock and roll was you can't put it in a box and then label it and look at it as a trophy on a shelf. It's insane to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. And it's they always seem to be, um, even with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum, that seems to be, uh, they focus a little bit maybe more on the the Doors, mm-hmm. the old L.A. scene, Crosby, Stills, Nash, things like that. Well, what about, you know, the Canadian bands or, you know, um, ABBA? I don't know. No, you right, know? But right, I mean, right. you know, right. I, I think they, they, when they said Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they shouldn't have called it the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They should have called it something else. Yes. Or just call the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and we stick with rock and roll, you know. So, yes, because now it's a popular music display. It's exactly. all I call it, really. Exactly. I mean, yeah. and it's, you know, it, it, I, I still think when they tried to induct the, the the Sex Pistols and Johnny Rotten wrote the letter. Are you familiar with that? Yes, yes. That yeah. to me was the greatest, well, yeah. greatest I mean, thing I'd ever seen I in mean, my life. I mean, Ozzy Osbourne was dead set against showing up there. I interviewed David Bowie um, probably, I want to say, two months before that all went down. He okay. had already been nominated. And um, that this was one of those deals where I was in my office. It was about 4 o'clock, 4.30 on, on a work day. And um, I get a phone call, and it's his record label, and they said, hey, would you, uh, we have an opportunity to do a, an interview with David Bowie within the next half hour. Are you, are you interested? Wow. And I said, absolutely. Wow. Give me one second. Wow. I run back to the boss's office. I said, hey, listen. I said, um, David Bowie's available for an interview, and, and we have to do it within the next half hour. Uh, are you okay with Sean doing it? And yeah. he says, no. I'm like, what? It's David Bowie. He goes, Sean's not doing it. You're doing it. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. I can't. So I went in and we're sitting like this on the air studio and it was, yeah, Sean was sitting there. I'm like, oh my God, Sean, I'm so nervous. I mean, this is, this is my guy. Got it. My guy. Got it. So um, I had met him years before that and I was, I don't get, you know, um, starstruck with people. Because my whole thing is, hey, toilet paper sticks to the bottom of their shoe just like it does mine. So it's like, you know, they're no different than Truth. me. But I mean, this was a guy I emulated for since I was in sixth grade. So the first time I met him, he came out 
And I was like, oh my gosh, that's him. That's him. He's in right in front of my eyes. And I kept hitting the side of my thigh, like, oh my God, that's him. That's him. And I was with my my husband's friend and he's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. He goes, you never get like this. I said, I know. What's wrong with me? <laughs> so he, when he came up to me, the thing that shocked me the most he wasn't as tall as I thought he was, <laughs> but he was so sweet, went around, called everybody by their first name, said it was a pleasure to meet them. Mm-hmm. No pictures, though. So my friend takes my camera, and as I'm walking along talking to him, he slyly snaps pictures. So I take them you know, to Ritz Camera Center. Remember that? And I, I, I my husband runs in and gets them developed, and he comes back out, and he's looking through them, looking through them. I'm like, so what, how are they? He says, this is so weird. He says, look between those pictures before that and the pictures after all of david bowie's were were white and i was like he is a vampire he is a vampire you know and so i never got the picture but i you know he was very sweet so this i I go back to this interview and i'm like oh my gosh well it was to me it was probably one of the best interviews i did because i had zero I didn't have time to think about it. Yeah. It was just whatever I felt about him, I, I asked. Yeah. And I asked him about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I said, well, you're nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, what are you thinking? What are you going to do? Are you going to play? He goes, I won't even show up. I'm like, what? Why? Don't you don't you think your fans, like myself, um, want that? And he says, "My my the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does not define me as an artist. It does not define my fans. It does not define anything other than just something to get people to go to the museum or to show up at the concert. Mm-hmm. And I was like, interesting. Ozzy was the same way. Ozzy didn't want anything mm-hmm. to do with it. But mm-hmm. David Bowie was like, he goes, people like you define me. My my fans define me. You know, whether I That's get so into the true. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does not define whether I'm a great artist or not. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, and, and so this true. is the guy that just continually did. I, I don't think David Bowie would ever had the career he would have had had he not been able to constantly change with the times. What a chameleon. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean and then be able but able to write things of relevance and oh, absolutely. At every stage. And know who to work with. I mean when he did the outside album he worked with Trent Reznor. And that tour was well, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Go back to the Modern Love. That's that's Peter Frampton on. Do you know that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Peter Frampton. I think Well, I actually no on on toured with him that album it was Stevie Ray Vaughan that actually uh, played okay. the guitar on that that particular album, Let's Dance. Okay. However, it was Peter Frampton that played guitar on the series Moonlight Tour. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, then, but then David Bowie did play um on this on the uh Glass Spiders tour um Never Let Me Down was the album. I think it was the name of the album. But that's the one that the Peter Frampton played on. Yeah. But when it came to Let's Dance, uh, he's the one who found Stevie Ray Vaughan. And then when it I came, didn't know that. When it came to touring, yeah, he, he found Luther Vandross as a I backup didn't know that singer. Either. Yeah. Um, yeah, when they did uh, all uh, Young Americans. Bowie did, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was really good at doing that. But uh, the reason why Stevie Ray Vaughan cut ties with him is because David Bowie just wanted to pay scale. <laughs> <laughs> the boom. truth yeah what I mean you know it's, uh, the guy Stevie Ray Vaughan was extremely gifted yeah, you know and yeah, yeah, yeah. there was a guy who again like Eddie Van Halen uh, you know just had so many people love what he did and, and picked up the guitar because of it you know so it's amazing we, yeah it, it, it does go to show you it's one big tent isn't it yeah, I mean yeah. like, the genres are all jammed in this tent and they all sure. cross pollinate sure but absolutely the Stevie Ray Vaughan originated with yeah. David Bowie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, right, Bowie so, was pretty good at finding people like that. Obviously so. Yeah. Do you remember when uh, when Stevie passed? Do you remember where you were? Uh, actually, I, I talked about this on my Facebook page a couple weeks ago. Um, 
I was I was getting up that morning because I was working for Michelle uh, doing the midday show on DVE, and at that time, we you know we knew there was a helicopter crash. It was right. cloud. It was foggy that night. We're not sure. There was there was talk that uh, Eric Clapton was on that that flight. They didn't know who it was. All that, and then as the morning went on, I think maybe about eleven o'clock or so, somebody called into the radio station from one of our sister stations in Wisconsin and said. It, we just got confirmation it was Stevie Ray Vaughan and then mm. manager or whatever. It was like none of Double Trouble or anybody in his band or anything like that. And it was not Eric Clapton. So, um, yeah, that was that was a really heavy day because probably two months before that, he played out at Star Lake with uh, mm. Joe Cocker. Mm-hmm. And uh, I it was a crazy day because um, it had rained so hard. I'd never seen it rain like that. And we were all huddled in the DVE van. And the next thing you know, it's, it's pouring so hard that the picnic benches, the wooden picnic benches were getting lifted up and floating down, you know, the outside part of it's a lot of rain. Yes. And it was like, wow, you know, so we, we stayed in this van and uh, the next thing you know, it, it got nice outside and we walked over the hillside and the rain had was probably 20, 20, rows deep in front of the stage wow and here's stevie ray vaughn's band fly fishing off the stage <laughs> practicing their fly fishing i'm like oh my you know and i was the person at the radio up. station that always had a camera That's always great. this is long before you know obviously cell phones and i i didn't have a camera at that particular show and i went up and i i introduced joe cocker and then i came off stage and i was walking through the corridor the back stage area and stevie ray vaughn was out front and he had his hat on and he goes Good evening, ma'am. And I said, hi, Stevie, how are you? And he goes, doing great, thanks. I said, well, great show tonight. And he goes, thank you. And, you know, that's that. Oh, I had wow. just seen that. I mean, we didn't talk. It was just a, a, a Texas, yeah, 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 you yeah. know, yeah. thing with yeah. his hat. And, uh, yeah, that, that was that was tough. What talent. Talent. And he was just really, you know, he, he was on his way to really, I thought, great things. You know, he had mm-hmm. kicked the drugs and all that stuff mm-hmm. and, you know, really found his path and was making so many people happy with his music. Oh, and yeah. then, oh, yeah. and then that happened. So yeah, that was, that was really tragic. Did you go to DVE? Was it 89? 88. 88. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you caught the tail end of hair metal in the hair air. metal was still, was still a, a, a huge part of that. Yeah. It, I mean, it, you had it, it warrants. Was, it was. Guns and Roses came out Slaughter. in 88. Oh, Guns and Roses. Yeah. I mean, that was chain. really the one that were just. They ha- were they hair metal though? Well, they unfortunately got tossed into that. Yeah. I mean, when they opened up for um, Aerosmith mm-hmm. at the arena, they were just, they blew Aerosmith off the stage. People have told me that. Ter- I mean, it was just like, wow. I mean, uh-huh. and Steven Tyler's a great front man. And yeah. you, you yeah, think, yeah, yeah. oh, this is good. But I mean, I mean, it, there was something electrifying about that band that night, and it, you just you, you just, just knew. knew it was going to be something spectacular. Yeah, they they just were so raw and when did, loud. When did that also ha- have has that happened to you prior? Where you've seen a, a, an up and coming band and you just knew there was an extra level for them, an extra. I saw it in Bon Jovi when they I, I think they opened for Rat. Right, right. And when John jumped off the with these boots jumped off this high level of amplifiers and didn't break his ankle. Right. It was, they upstaged Rat that night. Yeah. I thought. I, I would say probably Night Ranger was one of those bands okay. when I saw them in 84. They were like that journey back in the 70s. I mean, Steve Perry climbed the um, the lighting rig. They opened up for Foreigner. Blue Foreigner off the stage. Get out. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Trying to think who else. Um, definitely Guns N' Roses. That was just like one of those shows. It was like you wow. Just knew it. Yeah. It was just. I mean, even when we 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 went 
after like Aerosmith did their encore, we all ran out to the van to grab the DVE stickers right, and right, right. we're giving them out. And then all of a sudden it was just like this influx of people were all up against the van and we didn't know what to do. So we just grabbed them in two stacks and threw them up in the air and just to get out of there it was just crazy because <laughs> people were just feeling it, it was very electrifying yeah, yeah, yeah. you know uh, Depeche Mode was one of those bands although they w- weren't really well known here okay um, they, they they had a very special something too I thought you know rockers tend to like them and a lot of uh, I found back in that era like people that really loved hard rock or hard rockers they would secretly also like Depeche Mode they wouldn't they wouldn't admit it but they, they kind of had a broader audience I thought than a specific alternative band sure yeah i don't know yeah no i I would agree with that they've been influenced a lot of bands but you look who you know uh david gahan says well Mm -hmm. bowie influenced me and you know you look at the guys from def leppard you know queen and david bowie two big artists that influenced them as far as their musical paths right and it's just it's all well who influenced david bowie and who you know right who was his influence back in the day you know so it all just is you know like you said we're all in like this big tent I, I, I want to believe that as, as, as much as I think the record companies and some fans try to, you know, segregate us in little specific nuances. I don't think you can do that. No. Did Kurt Cobain really kill hard rock or heavy metal or hair metal or whatever it was classified? Uh, I would say probably, yeah. There was... So there's uh, truth to that, though. I think so. I think so. Just because of that whole genre that came out of Seattle, the Pearl Jams and all that stuff. and, and, and There was only a couple, though. There were a couple, but they but at that time, they were all starting to... Maybe they didn't have record contracts, but okay. there was there was a buzz about Seattle, a big buzz about Seattle. Okay. Um, you know, just working with record reps when I was a music director, it's like, hey, you know... Uh, there, there's there's this band out of Seattle that's doing really well locally. We're we're looking to sign them. Okay, who are they? And that you know it'd be um, Soundgarden or, mm-hmm. or somebody like mm-hmm. that. You know, but mm-hmm. um, I I don't know if you know. There's another tragedy. What if I always always think when somebody dies young like that, it's like what would what would have happened? Would they have continued on? We wouldn't have. We probably wouldn't have the Foo Fighters though. Mm-hmm. You know, and and Dave Grohl is just such a talented guy on so many levels in his writing and his playing and drums and Mm -hmm. his his guitar and all that stuff. Um, You know, we wouldn't have him. But um, I just think that um, there was something special that 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 whole sound was. What was it, though? Can you can you classify that? Like when you heard when you heard Soundgarden, see, 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 I come at it this way. I don't think the Soundgarden tone or the Pearl Jam tone is that much different than really good rock and roll. Oh, absolutely, to me. absolutely. The, the grunge thing—I don't get the label now. But when I listen to Kurt Cobain, yeah, I kind of understand that it's more rooted in punk. I yeah. hear a little bit of the Pistols sure. in there, the Ramones sure. in there, but the rest of it's just rock and roll. Like Pearl Jam to me is a long-going rock and roll band. Well, that's where the record labels come in and give it. Uh... A title, the okay. grunge, you know. Well, then all of a sudden, like I was saying about how when you went to a, a, a concert, we all look like somebody. Well, now all of a sudden, we're wearing shorts and jack boots and flannel shirts with a rock shirt underneath it. You know, that was the style, and the guys had the long curly hair, uh-huh. not the hair metal hair, but you know, like yeah. you know, Eddie yeah. Vedder had. Yeah, and I don't know. It it, it it was a groundswell of something. That is for sure. And mm. uh, you know, like I said, I, I often wonder what if if he wouldn't have died, what what would have happened to that genre of music, or what would they like? sound be like? What would yeah, their sound evolved into right, exactly. Or would he have just been like one of those people's, like you know what, 
I did it. I'm done. And then he just goes off and maybe owns a record store or something like that. <laughs> you don't know. We you don't almost, know. You can yeah. almost see that happening. Yeah, you know, his personal life was really interesting. Yeah. With, uh, with his, with that, I think it was his wife, I think, or yeah. his girlfriend. Uh, another band that came out of that era, right, right when you were working at DVE, uh, which got labeled as grunge, but I always thought they were just a phenomenal band for what they weren't, which was being able to be pigeonholed. And that was Stone Temple Pilots. Yes, exactly. They were so. Just how could you classify? Right, them? but the, but you go back to other bands, you know, like you said about Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi kind of got pigeonholed into the hair bands. Cinderella, same mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Cinderella were such great. They were such a great live band. Even the Scorpions. The yeah. Scorpions oh, have been around God. forever. They're iconic. Yeah, they've been around forever. But they, they kind of just because they and, and did videos and, do that and Judas Priest probably. Yeah, where they kind of got pigeonholed into that. Even Kicks. Yeah, Kicks was nothing more than uh, a cross between like ACDC and the Ramones, and right. you know it, then that all came along, and then they got kind of got pigeonholed into that, which they I never I never thought they were a hair band because. You know, I knew them back in the early 80s yeah. and hair bands weren't yeah. doing anything then. But I remember their promotional stuff where it was in like hip parade or usually in the corner of the page and, they, and their hair was poofed, but it was the late 80s. Yeah. That yeah. was the marketing they were right. being pigeonholed right. into. Yeah. Well, to... look at what they did to the the Wilson sisters. Oh, yeah. You know, with those, the big hair and, you know, all that stuff. And some of that stuff was, the music was really good. Though. I know yeah. it's, it's it's almost like sugar-coated candy, some but of I it. But I mean, it's, it's, good. it's either you're doing it for a video to stand out in a video or you're doing yeah. it because your record label pigeonholes you into that if hey if it means getting airplay and it means selling some records if you got to look like this you got to look like this i okay. know uh, nancy wilson was dead set against that whole you know okay video stuff i mean she's a serious musician so is ann no question you know but you know i, I think there's probably a part of that time frame in their career they're like not our you know maybe not really what we wanted to be doing but you know sometimes when you get that check yeah, well, of you course, know. of course. Because ultimately, yes, you want to be happy in what you do yeah. for a living, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you want to share your music with people. Yeah. But if it means having to make a a, a silly video to mm-hmm. get more people to like you or to buy your records, you do what you got to do, I guess. You were a DV until what year? Um, two. Oh, geez, That's right, roughly. Yeah, so it was like early two thousand. Yeah. So you saw the entire nineties rock scene mm-hmm. at WDVE. Mm-hmm. While you were employed at DVE, right. when and something weird happened in 1996, you started to see some of these legacy bands coming back for reunion tours. Kiss sure. probably led the way. With mm-hmm. The Sex Pistols did it. Uh, there were three or four other ones that did. It was a moment in my life where I'm like, "Wow, I'm starting to get a little older." Like these bands are doing reunion tours. The idea sure. of a reunion tour really it wigged me out. <laughs> well, you think the Who? Right. Yeah, the, the, oh, the constantly the, the, the Who. The Kids Are All Right tour. You know, then uh-huh. the Stones started doing their stuff. Yeah, the stuff. Stones were a big one. Right. That was a big one. And I think the Stones were in eight, I think the Steel Wheels tour was 89 or right. something like that. Right. But it, 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 it showed to me, once I laughed my way through the reunion concept, it showed to me that the staying power of rock is unbelievable. Sure. Like no Absolutely. other genre there was, right? right? I mean, I don't know. I did think, though, that... Something also happened in the mid '90s in rock, where the industrial thing kind of happened, or like bands nails. like Corn, mm-hmm. and um, and it was hard for me to really wrap my head around that. I was I don't know if I was just a little more, little more closed-minded toward it. Right, I accepted it eventually. Yeah, the, but, I mean the the Corn, Corn. I don't necessarily call them industrial. 
Well, not industrial. No, yeah, that's but, wrong. And like when, I, that. when I think industrial, I think nine inch nails. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think ministry. Ramstein bands. Yeah, like ministry. That. Yeah, ministry um, is big. Yeah. You know, but I played ministry back in the 80s. I'm sure. When they were, uh, he was a dance band, Al Jorgensen. And then I've Amazing. seen him a couple times in Amazing. town the last couple of years. I'm like, holy smokes, this is not the same guy that you know did with sympathy or you know uh-huh. got to work for love or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, but I, I, you know, I look at um, like Nine Inch Nails. I, I remember the first time I heard that record. My my husband was friends with Trent's father. Um, they had a relationship through uh, what my husband wow. does for a living, and he gave me a copy of the CD. And so I listened to it, and, and just hearing Head Like a Hole for the first time was like. Wow, this is pretty intense, uh-huh. and you know the uh-huh. whole album was just awesome. But you know, just getting to see that show and then seeing him and you know Nine Inch Nails and Bowie coming together, yeah, that was to me a perfect fit, yeah, a yeah, perfect yeah, yeah, fit. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, I get it, but, I get it. Yeah, but you know the, the industrial thing, it's just everything kind of comes in waves. I think. Okay. And I okay. don't know what I don't know what's out there now that would be considered. What's the I don't know. What is it? Do classifications I, matter anymore? I don't think so because everybody seems to be doing their own thing. Um, I, I don't, like we were talking earlier about Eddie Van Halen, mm-hmm. I, I don't see kids picking up a guitar, playing a guitar because mm-hmm. of the icons Bob Smith gone. in, uh, you know, the Eric McKenna project, you know, yeah, that type of stuff. I, yeah. I just don't, I don't see that. Yeah, and I will tell you from being in that business, music in general changed so drastically that guitar heroes, which were I think were really important to that industry sure. or any musical instrument right. industry, you know, Jimmy Page and Rita Peter Frampton sure. and, and, and Tony Iommi, Black Sabbath, Richie Blackmore, people. yeah, you know? absolutely yeah. right. And, and I think now, and Zach Wild, I think Ozzy's yep. guitar, but mm-hmm. Zach's kind of like the last bastion of. You yeah, know, guitar hero. Now, right. I think Dave Grohl, to a certain extent, sure, ins- inspiring younger yeah, people absolutely. to pick up. And he's just but, like so multi-talented with he can play so many different things. I, the first time I saw the Foo Fighters, I couldn't believe that was the drummer from. The, I, I didn't put the connection. Right. There. <laughs> like, and he probably oh thought you. I don't know about you, but when when you know Kurt Cobain passed away, it was like. Oh, those, those two other guys, man. I got to feel bad for them. I what are they going to end up doing? Working in a grocery store what, or having, what, to, go, what to, having to go to college and, and, and go back to college and learn how to be an accountant or something. I think they're okay. Yeah. No, they did They did fine. They did fine. Yeah. Chris Novoselic, I forget what he does. I think he's still in a band, but you have uh, Pat Smear still yeah. plays out and, you know, so, I mean, they, they've done very well, but like I said, without him passing away, we never would have had the Foo Fighters. Yeah. But I don't know if there's, um, if there are, if people are picking up instruments because of today's music. I don't think so. Um, when Neil Peart passed away, oh. what a tragedy that was. Mm. Uh, and that was mm-hmm. really the beginning of the, of the end of, of 2020. 2020, yeah. As that, soon as that happened, it was like... That one hit me hard. Kobe Bryant, and then uh-huh. all that was downhill afterwards. It was like, okay, whoever thought we'd be in this position Yeah, any particular right Rush memories? I saw every Rush show going back to 70, going back to uh, Hemispheres. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Grace Under Pressure was the first time I saw them. Okay, 84. Um, yeah. Uh, the start of the electric stuff. For the best stuff of, of Rush... Never had to wait in line to go to the restroom. <laughs> I only say that because what, what's their big joke? Sausage factory, well, right? There's no women at the show. Yes, shows. exactly. Yeah. But I was always there. I loved Rush. I just I love how I loved uh, Neil's writing. Yeah. And just how eclectic everything was, and how in depth. Uh, you know, why maybe, did they hit? Maybe in, when I was younger, I didn't realize that he was writing all the music. 
you know, or they would come up with the music and then say, okay, here's lyrics, here's yeah. the song, and he'd write the lyrics. Yeah, I, maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. when I was younger, I didn't really right. grasp that. But right. when you when you hear songs like Trees mm-hmm. or, you know, um, songs like that, it's just like, you know, wow, okay. Talking about really society and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. who, who survives by the person who's able to grow, you know. Well, I think it, it's interesting because it turned a lot of people, a lot of probably young people like myself and the, the concept of philosophy. Right. Not that I just started immediately buying Nietzsche books or anything, but sure. it really it broadened my mind because sure. all we had that time, right. which was wonderful, was right. the gatefold covers and the album sleeves and the liner notes and all the good tangible stuff we could hold on exactly. to and, read. and immerse ourselves. And, and read and learn and like, oh, wow. Well, I didn't realize Steve Lukather played on that Hall & Oates song. I love that guy from Toto. Or, hey, I didn't realize that, you know, oh, you know, Journey's Infinity album, they, they you know, dedicated it to the guys from Skinner. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get that now. No. I, I miss so much about, it's like, I download. I know. Forget it. There's nothing tangible. There's nothing, you know, I, I want to hold it. I want to feel See? it. I want to open it up and, yeah. you know, get that poster inside. Uh-huh. And, you know. That made the whole thing an experience, especially for a young person. Oh, sure. You because know? you know what? It wasn't just, you know, hey, hit, let's hit a button and it downloads. No, I worked at South Hills Country Club so I could buy records. And I, you know, if I wasn't able to drive Absolutely or brother would drive right. me down, I'd go in. Today's the day the new journey comes out. I'm getting it. You know, I remember <laughs> Christmas gifts. My brother gave me exactly what albums he gave me. You know, ELO's New World Records, Steve Miller's Fly Like an Eagle. How you know, cool you you remember that stuff. I can remember going and buying specific records. Like sure. I went, I mean, with my confirmation money, and I wasn't allowed to buy the Kiss stuff, but I was able to get Rush Archives and two of the Rush albums, and I could spend 70 bucks. It was amazing. Right. Why do I remember that? Sure. I don't know. I still have those Sure, albums. absolutely. I have, all, I have all my albums. I have all, pretty much all of my ticket stubs, and I have every rock uh, concert so cool. t-shirt that I ever bought. That I still so have cool. all those. So kids have missed all that, really. Like, absolutely. But then, see, that's the whole thing about music today. It's it's so different. And I don't know. I don't know if there's memories attached to the music today like there was for us. And maybe just because we're getting older and we were, you know, you get sentimental and all that. Okay. But and you know, our artists are you know are passing away, which is just terrible. Terrible. Because it is a part of your your the fabric of your of your your youth. It's been a bad year though. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's. I don't think kids have that now. Okay, so or they, maybe, and I don't think they care. I mean, think about this: Bingo. when you bought a record, Journey's Infinity, let's say, mm-hmm. um, and you maybe say um, "Wheel in the Sky" was getting played on the radio back in in the seventies. You got that record home. You listened to that thing over and over and over. Out. You didn't pitch. You didn't pick it up and just listen to "Wheel in the Sky." No, the whole you bought thing. that record with your own money, and you listened to it, and you learned every word from "Patiently" to "Anytime" to this to that. You read the liner notes, like I said, but but now it's just one song, mm-hmm. and that's all they seem to be releasing now. There isn't mm-hmm. that whole. Right. Um, I don't know what the what the word is that whole experience of right. of right. saving your money, having somebody drive you to the record store, knowing what day because you read it in Hit Parader that this album is going to be out. We didn't have the internet. I know you're exactly so, right. You know it was it was a big to do. It, it was, was a really a, big to do. And it was funny how it's so interesting about how the, that all kind of weaved with a lot of uncertainty. You read it out of a magazine that yeah. could have had a misprint, but your whole life was sure. based upon that potential misprint. Sure. And that's how we used to go see concerts. We'd drive to Allentown because it was in Hip Parade or they're on this date. We didn't call ahead. We just drove there. Right. And it, right. It, but it all kind of worked. Eric, how many shows <laughs> did you camp out for? Tons. Oh, I would gosh. go down to the arena by myself. Oh. 
you know, and camp out for tickets. And, you know, uh, I talked about... Think about that was a thing. Well, here's the crazy thing. My husband was in line, this was before we met, he was in line for the Eagles, um, the uh, Long Run album. Okay. So he's in line, he's the first in line at the window, and they end up opening only three windows. The window he is in front of, they don't open. And he had been there all night. So he met these two other girls that were on the, the and, and she says, please, you've been here with us. They got to know each other. That's cool. Lena is still one of our dearest friends so over cool. 40 years later. So cool. And we see her at all these shows because yeah, she yeah, still yeah. loves music just like she did back then. Yeah. You know, where you have that experience of meeting people and, you know. It's a unifier. Why are you there? Because you all want to see the same band, you know. It's a unifier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, or I, or like a couple. Well, back back then they weren't selling tickets a year in advance. No, it was maybe no. eight weeks out or whatever, and mm-hmm. be like, "Hey, man, see you at the show." And then you have a couple <laughs> beers and you're talking. And, hey, dude, man, how are you? How's it been the last eight months? You know, or whatever. And uh-huh. you uh-huh. know, it's uh, there. There was just something really special about music. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I have a um, a twenty year old and a seventeen year old, and no interest. I mean, oh, that has to hurt. I don't have kids. Uh, Thank yeah, goodness. Not in, <laughs> I'd be yeah. really upset. Well, they grew up. They grew up in the guitar thing yeah. with me, holding onto my legs. They grew up with it. Maybe yeah. that's the reason they don't. But just not a lot of the guitar thing. Just didn't wash. I tried. It just didn't. It's funny stick. you say that because I have a bunch of nephews and nieces, and on all the 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 nieces I would take to see the Spice Girls, oh, yeah. uh, Backstreet Boys, In Sync, New Kids on the Block, all them, and. They all remember those shows, yeah. but it's just like none of them ever. Just an event to them. Yeah, but none of them like ever, like my nephews taking them to see shows. None of them ever were like, man, I want to pick up the guitar. Yeah. Like, really? Come on, somebody's got to yeah. be a musician in this family. It's just an, you know? it's just an event, and that goes back to the. Uh, and you got me there early, so let's go right to it. I, I ask a lot of my musical guests on the show, people in in the either they're musicians or people in the music business. Is music now disposable? Oh, absolutely. You agree. Because you're the so. first person that's actually, I've asked that question a lot. You're the first person that immediately came and said yes. I think the way people look at, the younger people look at it today, it seems disposable. But to us, it's not disposable. Right. But because, I mean today, though. Like. The new music. I wouldn't say it's, no, because there's a lot of good music that's still being made. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's disposable. I just think the whole premise of how kids get music today is disposable. Because they're. They're not in it like we were in it. They didn't read. They didn't read the articles, you know, Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. hey, so and so's new album's coming out, and there's a picture of him and his girlfriend, their dog in the studio, and you know, and you read little things about him. Or I I, I cannot not walk out of this place without mentioning the Mike Douglas show. Uh. I mean, (laughs) I lived for that show, and I thought Mike Douglas. He's one of the reasons why I wanted to do what I wanted to do because Uh. he was like, my mom and dad loved him. Yeah. Yeah. But Ted Nugent's on. Yeah. And my mom is like, who is this crazy guy in a loincloth? I'm like, mom, it's Sweaty Teddy. Right. And she was like, oh, well, he's not that bad. Uh Or the Beatles. You know, Uh John Lennon and Yoko Ono would be on. Uh I saw a kiss there the first time. My dad's like, oh, come on. And Toadie Fields. Yes. You know? Yes. She was always on. I had no idea what her credibility was. Was she a comedian? She, um... Oh my gosh! That's how I knew Kiss existed in this world because I was watching the. I was forced to watch the Mike Douglas show with my aunt, and there's this guy. Yeah, like, yeah. Who is Tootie, this? Tootie Fields or yeah, Tootie, Tootie Fields. And yeah, so, and she's like bantering with Simmons, and right. I think they were just 
out of the gate. Yeah. I'm like, what is that? Yeah, exactly. But Mike Douglas was, he was something for pop culture. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, his, I mean, he was doing the show in Philadelphia at that time. I didn't know he, that. He wasn't in LA. He was in Philadelphia. I didn't know I'm that. like, hey, he's just across the state. He's local. Yeah. Well, yeah. When you're a kid, you're like, yeah, yeah local. It's Philadelphia. Well, right, That's right. five hours away here. <laughs> but I mean, all the artists that he would have on were just, they were rock artists. Yeah. I'm like, that is so cool. That is and cool. And I think it was kind of a way for my parents and and I to bond. Like, Bridge. Like, oh, this is that guy you have your your picture on? And like, yeah, mom, that's Peter Frampton. Oh, okay. You know, that type of thing. But I, I mean, you know, talk about a guy who uh-huh. who brought our contemporary artists onto the television show and then our yeah. parents realize okay these these people aren't as crazy as you think they are he didn't make them feel small or embarrassed no no the ones before i think the it was ed sullivan yeah he would bring the beatles or stones on right or the doors and then make a snide remark about them right as they would go off mike stage. douglas was always just mike douglas you were the star i'm just here asking the questions and just you know you be yourself or whatever that's what i thought he was so good at doing yeah yeah it was all about the guest yes yeah. Yeah, and he was a good bridge, I think, to modern music. He sure. ushered in a lot of a lot of modern music too. Absolutely. It made it it made it maybe a tad bit more palatable to maybe our parents' generation. Right. Or made it seem like, okay, mom and dad are watching now because yeah. mom likes, you know, Mike Douglas, but it's like, oh, okay, well, not too bad of a guy. Seems like Saturday a, a Night good Live guy. helped too in the Oh, yes, absolutely. The, in the beginning when it really was about the musical guest. Right. Right. It's yeah, that's amazing. yeah, and that's probably one of the reasons why I still tune into it today is just to see the you music. Know, the the music, yeah. Yeah, you know. it's it's part it's a part of part of part of pop culture though. But right. the disposable point, you I think you nailed it. I think kids ingest music now differently. Oh, than we they, did. They're spoon fed differently. Sure. One song. Right. A single. Right. And then with no meaning, no attachment, right. no verbiage, no liner notes, no, and maybe a video, a rock video or a pop video, maybe. Videos don't even mean anything to kids anymore. No. And you wonder, too, about the whole, um, you know, are people playing instruments now? No. Or is a lot of that on, you know, started. keyboards and things? I'm just saying, yeah. back when we were looking at the liner notes, it was like, you know, you knew who play guitar or, or bass or whatever and, right. and all that type of stuff and it was real um, music it was right. organic music right right and whereas uh, now it's just let's just make one good hit and then what's your thoughts on live music today and i want to include some of the big bands i mean i'm not going to name names but there are some really big bands that are still touring right now where there's some in- voice enhancements some lip syncing some we saw live music right right you, if you were lucky enough to see chicago there's a 13-piece ensemble up there just, like, blowing your head oh, off. Oh, absolutely. Right? Or if absolutely. you saw Black Sabbath, it was Tony Iommi ripping your face off with right. an amplifier. It was real. Right. And there's a lot of, like, live music today is really more about the show, I think, than right. it is the musical Well, and quality. then there's been a lot of stories of, of bands being enhanced, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, What's your thoughts on it? Van Halen having somebody, or Aerosmith having somebody below the stage that... You know, sings back up or Did that stuff it, happen it, in enha- the 80s? En- enhances, you know, Steven Tyler's voice. The only band I remember being lip synced um, was Dead or Alive. Mm. At uh, they played the Stanley, uh, was it the Stanley Theater Ball? No, Siri Moss Ballroom or Stanley Theater Ballroom, something like that. And I remember I was me and one of the other jocks were standing behind the board and. All of the all of the pots pots are the things that you know your microphone, uh-huh. your your bass, whatever. All of them were down, and we're. We're looking at each other like, he's not turning his microphone up. <laughs> and then when when Peter Burns would say something, you could hear what he was saying. So interesting. That was the only one that I ever recall 
that I thought was like definitely there was tracked. rumors in the early, even early mid eighties that Van Halen was piping in uh, the backgrounds. Yeah, on yeah. some of their songs, I would love to hear Michael Anthony just sing himself Mm -hmm. just sing backup vocals of songs by the guy's got an incredible voice but you Mm -hmm. never get to hear it because it you know he's always the that high voice that sings backup for van halen Mm -hmm. you know but i'd love to hear what he sounds like singing those songs just by himself there's so much milly vanilli crap going on now though i'm such a skeptic anymore i i I hate to feel that way but there's still good bands out there doing things i'm like a big fan of uh 30 seconds to mars Mm -hmm. uh i with them um they um Years ago, I was cleaning the house and I was watching some concert on on TV from somewhere, Ireland or something like that. And I'm watching and Jared Leto's got this pink mohawk and I'm like, wow, this, this guy can really move a crowd. And the next thing you know, he jumps from the stage to the top of a gate, like a fence. And okay. I mean- could have killed, could have impaled himself. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like, whoa, Nelly. And then the next thing you know is he jumps into the crowd and they're passing him all around right, and right. he's really dynamic on stage. And I'm right. like, mm, that's pretty good. Well, then I've, I can't tell you how many times I've seen him live. I've, I've traveled it. to see them Got and it. I'm like, wow, he's, they're impressive. They're very impressive. You know, they're a great live band. The, when you first saw Stave Diving, I'm guessing you were, I'm, I'm guessing it had to be, you were one of the first folks to probably see it in Pittsburgh based upon the station you were working with and music that you guys were promoting. I'm guessing late 80s you saw it? Yeah, probably about... Mosh pits? That yeah, kind of 87, thing? 88, around there that somewhere, 86, something like that, maybe. What was your thoughts on that? Did you have, did it, did it move you? Did it frighten you? Did it... Did it do anything? Which is like, to- wow, dude, you're crazy. Because <laughs> what happens? I would be that person who jumps off the stage and everybody would, <laughs> would move aside. <laughs> that would be the fear I'd have. Face plant it right on the under the ground. But that was something but, different to yeah, me. Yeah, it was that different. Was... It was like, it, it, well, it, it created energy. And then now they do like the swirl where they all yeah. like smash into each other. You know, I've never been a part of a mosh pit, I will say that. But um, yeah, I haven't you know. either. Been uncomfortably close a few times. But I. Do you remember music getting angry at all in the early 90s? Did you ever view it as being angry? Bands like Pantera, um, just really aggressive rock where it would ever bleed over into the crowd. Did anything ever, did that ever disturb you at all, or is it pretty much just a rock show? No, to me it's a rock show. I mean, every band had their... Um, I wouldn't even say angry. Um, music is music, and sometimes if you're angry... It seems angry. Okay. If you're sad, it seems sad. Yeah, I get you know? it. So the, the only reason I bring that up is uh, I was a, a fan of music, and then I ended up working in the in the guitar business, and then having artists with different flavors. Uh, Dimebag Daryl Pantera right, was mm-hmm. one that we worked to at the tail end, the very end of his uh, life, unfortunately. Right. And that opened me up to that fan base. But I had seen Pantera years prior mm-hmm. opening for Sabbath in '99, I think. Right. And. I had never seen anything like that. I'd never seen a really what looked like an angry, aggressive crowd. Crowd. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I, yeah. I was in a PNC box watching the show, so I was right. safely away from it. But sure. I was really like, wow, music. That's not a Kiss crowd. Like the Kiss shows from the couple of years prior did not look like that. Right. These and, were younger kids, and really they, aggressive. While they may be angry. I will honestly say this, that I would rather be hanging out with that type of crowd than somebody at an Eagle show or Fleetwood Mac. Okay. Um, simply for the fact that some of my worst concert experiences have been with those types of bands. Hmm. Not not people that are enjoying the music. It's somebody that has had 
way too many beers at the bar before walking into the place and they get loud, they get obnoxious. Got it. Um, you know, I had, I think it was Fleetwood Mac. Somebody kept hitting me in the back of the head. Like they were drumming and it kept hitting me. I said, Hey, you know, three times turn around, dude, I know you, you're having a great time. Yeah. That's fine. But yeah. can you stop hitting me in the back of the head? Well, then I said it one more time. <laughs> he, he, I will have your ass tossed out of here. I'm like, do you see me drinking? No, I'm not drinking. So I'm not having the problem. You're behind me. And he was just like, a lot of people just like want to fight or they want to talk. That drives me nuts. Seeing James Taylor at Star Lake and these two gals talking in front of me, like, you know, what a bad day they had at work because their boss is an idiot. And I look at my husband, I'm like, I can't handle this anymore. And he says, do you want to leave? I'm like, no. So right. I grabbed my ticket. I tapped the ladies between the shoulders. I said, hey, ladies. I said, I don't see your name on the ticket. So if you're going to continue to talk, <laughs> why Chris, don't you go great. grab a beer and talk back there? Because I paid to see. I mean, you're paying an yeah. exorbitant amount of money yeah. to see artists anymore. Yeah. I, I want to get my money's worth. We're not paying eight seventy five like we did back in the 80s. You know, I mean, concert tickets add a zero to that one eight zero seven five. you know? Right. They're expensive. But the crowds are different in that way, too. Like when we went to a rock show years ago, you probably wouldn't have had that problem. Oh, once in a while you'll see someone drink too much. But the right. point was right. they were all really there to enjoy the show. Right. Now, now it's an event, something to or, do so, on a or, Thursday night. I got yeah, free tickets. Or to be to be seen there. Yeah. Uh, like I find that a lot of times back in the 90s with some hockey games and stuff. That's it's interesting. Like, is anybody okay. paying attention? Okay. You know, I mean, this guy is singing Fire and Rain and these two are yeah. yakking about how bad their boss treats them. I'm like, yeah, I don't like to be really I don't like to be that person, but you'll be that person when you need to be. Well, show respect to the artist. Absolutely Nothing irritates right. me more than when somebody's singing a, a, a song and people are yakking. Oh, gosh, that drives me. Show some respect for the artist. It, it, this is going to sound really off kilter, but I, I experienced that. Um, and, it, and from that moment on, I, all the concerts seem to be this way for me. I went to see I took my grandmother. No, I, I took a friend of mine to see Frank Sinatra's last show. Wow. And I'm saying it was it must have been like 94 or something. Right. And we got really amazing seats. And I, I just wasn't the big, biggest Frank Sinatra fan, but I wanted to see it. Sure. Right? But I looked around and people not paying attention. And there's the man struggling to get through it up there, right? right? With his monitor. It's quite, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. I think it was 94 maybe. Yeah. But I noticed the people around us. We were in the round. I was in the round. It was, it was low. They were kind of like there, someone just to be seen there or something to do. They weren't really engaged. Right. And that right. ushered me into looking at concerts very skeptically from that moment yeah. on and looking at audiences and saying, wow, this is a different audience than the 80s and 90s shows right. I remember. Right. And right. now really it's that way. Yeah. it's When I go to see a show, I'm there to watch the band. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, even if I got free tickets with working in radio, have I ever walked out of a show? Mm -hmm. I stay till the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when, when people are disrespectful, that bothers me because yeah. it's just, you know, especially when, when it's James Taylor singing fire and rain, it's like, come on, can you shh, just pipe it down a yeah. little bit, you know? And you know, mm. I'm nice. I'm like, Hey ladies, shh, you know, <laughs> four times. Like, okay. Now, now, now I'm mad, you know? So, but. yeah. 
You, you mentioned like drumming and hitting your back, and I just remember going to pretty much any Rush show and just oh, looking course. at the sea Everybody, of dr- air drummers, right? I it's would crazy. have expected that at Rush. <laughs> you want to beat well, me in the back well, of the Fleetwood head Mac. thinking you're, you're Neil Peart? That's fine, but not Fleetwood Mac. And I mean, he was just drunk, and it was just like, oh, brother, you know. Oh, but man. yeah, I, I, I've, I've always said I'd rather be hanging out with the heavy metal people. I'd rather be at, yeah. at Guns N' Roses at Three River Stadium with Metallica and whoever and be in that crowd than be with with like the the Jimmy Buffett crowds because a lot of times Oof. it's it's for them it's a night out mm-hmm. away from their kids they let it loose and that's fine but just be respectful for the other people that you know want to What's your thoughts to the music? on country music in general personally for you and, and then talk about the crowd differences cuz I will talk about them there's a big big difference between rock crowds and even your so-called super rock country folks right. the, the crowds are different yeah. it's a different thing going on yeah it's been a while since I've been to a country show. Um, a lot of what I hear is um, Def Leppard with fiddles. Hmm. Okay. That's I hear. Pretty, huh. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's that's what country music's. It, it's bro country. Evolved, you know what I mean? It's it's not like. Um, Stuff like back, like in maybe the '90s, where yeah. it was like Rodney Foster and I get it. Rodney Crowell, and you know those it. kinds of art. I love Dwight Yoakam. Yoakam I've seen yeah. him multiple times. Yeah. You know those types of artists. It's now more, like I said, Def Leppard with fiddles. I don't know. It's weird. Sorry, that's great. I'll never get a job in country that radio. So I guess. That is so great. <laughs> well, many years and many friends at Froggy Radio. Great people. Great great folks so I got exposed to that genre and I'm not a country music fan I'm just not I think I know of Garth Brooks I know a couple of his songs and but it's all lost on me right I had a couple of photography gigs that I did over the past seven eight years for the big shows in town the yeah. annual shows and Kenny Chesney oh, was yeah. one and I just don't get it not just musically I guess there's a powerful pop show up there I don't right. know if it's country music but the crowds are simply there to drink, and I'm not really oh, sure that the, that the bulk of them are really there for the music. No, no, if that makes any sense. Yeah, those those types of shows are are it, it's it's an event. It's mm-hmm. not about who's playing there. It, it's strictly an event. Yeah, and it's I've I've been to a couple. How of did like, that happen? Kenny Kenny Chesney shows, and it's just like wow. You walk out, and it's like holy smokes, what a oh. mess, you know. And um, how did that happen? Was there a turning point? I have no idea. I, I maybe because there's not many stadium shows and not many country artists at that time were doing things. I think the whole country genre has turned into Jimmy Buffett. Like when I listen to country music today, it's all about drinking and lift kits on trucks. But I but a lot of it comes back to alcohol and mm-hmm. drinking. Which, you know, fine. But I mean, is that the kind of crowd that thinks that okay, you know, Kenny Chesney's gonna do his latest song and it's about drinking? It seems like all the a lot of the artists in country music are doing that. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. and I, I I give Kenny Chesney credit because he jumped in on a, a fan base like Jimmy Buffett's fan base right, and right, right. and kind of took it along and, and made it something very big and and very successful for him. Yeah, Garth Brooks to me was palatable when he broke. I mean, it was it was poppy, but it was mm-hmm. like there it seemed like there was a rock beat to it, almost like well a, he he and he he'll be the first person to tell you you know loved Journey. Loved all those bands, and the that. first time I saw him many moons ago, it was it was like a country show with all the rock, all the rock. Country gizmos. kiss, exactly. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, not without the makeup, but I mean, you yeah, know, it yeah, had, yeah. you know, the the 
fireworks and all that stuff and you know the the big sound and yeah. a cool stage where it wasn't just you know they he was working behind the stage you know like journey would do yeah. or whatever back like on the escape tour where they had the railing and so they 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 used the entire you know venue it wasn't just you know not selling the seats behind right he, he took i think what those elements that made rock concerts so cool and why we love them so much and he he implemented that into the into the country music okay and and people ran with it and and, and probably had never seen anything like that before if you weren't a fan of, of rock music yeah. but you loved all country and that's who you grew up with but you've never seen a rock show well just imagine you're Helped wow, this guy is amazing, bit. you know, yeah, right? Yeah, it was probably yeah. smart on Sure, absolutely. Brilliant on his behalf. Absolutely. What are some of the greatest live performances you've seen in this Ooh, town? Oh, gosh. There's been a lot. Um, Tommy Conwell and Young Rumblers at Graffiti. Okay. What uh, year would that have been, roughly? Uh, Mid-era. 94, maybe, somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, he duck-walked on the upper level of Graffiti with his guitar playing. And he just blew my doors off. Wow. He was so good. Wow. So good. They were just okay. like, they were like a garage band, like just yeah. like a fun bar band. But yeah, boy, yeah, yeah. he was amazing. Uh, Guns N' Roses opening up for Aerosmith. Um, China yeah. Crisis, that was an alternative band. Okay. Um, Julian Cope and Susie and the Banshees yeah. were one. Um, of course, the first time you saw, I, first time I saw David Bowie was like, wow, that was spectacular. <laughs> Chicago, that was my first concert I ever went to. What era of Chicago was that? That was 1977. Oh, okay. And that was uh, a couple months before I, Terry, Terry Kath passed away. Yeah. 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 And I, I remember, I remember so many things about that show. It's my first show. I'm, I'm so excited. You know, I smell pot. <laughs> and I'm like, what is that? What's that smell? It smells like burnt rubber or burnt, that, burnt right? rope or you something like that. that. My sister's like, just never mind, never mind. <laughs> and uh, I just remember them coming out and just, he was <laughs> spectacular. What a great guitar player, a fabulous guitar player. Um, th- them being extremely good. Uh, seeing Daryl Hall and John Oates for the first time in 1977. Um, and I've seen them. Rich Girl Tour, or something that was the, about the air uh, they sang. Uh, that would this would have been bigger than the both of us okay. tour. So that'd have been like '96, oh, maybe okay, something like okay, that. Okay, okay, okay. And um, seeing them for the first time, and, and this is no lie, this summer would have been my 60th show with them. I've traveled everywhere to see them. Yeah, I'm a big, oh, big Daryl Hall and John Oates fan. Obviously yeah. so. <laughs> Most people know that. Daryl um, Hall's voice is unbelievable yes, to me. Yes, yes. And did you know he was uh, up for the Van Halen gig? I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah, between Dave and Sammy. They made the right choice. Yeah. I think. Yeah. For Van Halen. Yeah, so um, I'm trying to think. ACDC, first time I saw them, I, I thought they were pretty incredible. There's so many bands. And like I say, when I, I watch somebody, I tr- tr- try to take away something mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah. maybe I'm not a fan of their music or their looks or whatever. Ronnie James Dio, first time I saw him, was so you just- dug Oh, absolutely, yeah, what absolutely. A voice. Not just a voice, but you know, um, a Twisted Sister opened up for the be, before him, and Dee Snider comes out, and it's f u f u f u f u the whole thing, and then Ronnie James Dio comes out, and it's my friends, my friends, and I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And then I got to meet him, and he was just such a nice guy, such a nice guy. What a what a voice, though. Like, oh yeah, I, I think I snuck- and I mean he's all of four eleven. Really tiny, super I think, tiny. I think I snuck into the Heaven and Hell tour for Sabbath when yeah. I was like tw- 14. Yeah. And I'm like, because I want to see who this guy after Ozzy was. Sure. But man, the last in line was the song, his first or second solo record, I think. Right, right. Uh, um, that album, The Last in Line, right? Yeah. Unbelievable pipes, though. Oh, gosh, yeah. And when he's, blah, 
Did he even you know? need that microphone? I mean, you probably would have heard no. it. If Mike got cut, you probably would have heard him. But just that. knowing how <laughs> tiny he is and how uh-huh. small, what a voice that comes out of that. Yeah. You know, obviously seeing your first Kiss show. The first time I saw Kiss, that was without the makeup. So that was a little weird for me because yeah. my husband's such a huge fan. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, was it the Civic Arena? Like, was it? No, was... I saw them first at the Stanley Theater. Yeah, I remember that yeah. show so clear as a bell, and I kept saying to myself, "It's kind of sad. It's a band this big is playing in this little hall." Yeah, I remember saying that. To myself. Oh, sure, absolutely. It's like the I... Kiss stand was on the floor, like the Kiss sign was not elevated. Right, they set it on the right on behind the, the drums. Drums, right? Remember, yeah, I do does remember that remember that. right? Yes, yes. And wow. I, I do remember. Uh, who was was that? Vinnie Vincent that played for them. Yes. Didn't his pants split in that show? Yes. Yes, I do remember yes. that. But those are, those are the dumb things I remember. It shows. I think Except opened up for oh, them. They did. Udo balls, Dirk Schneider. He swung the wall, out on man. A, yep. He swung out on like a, a wrecking, wrecking ball. ball. Right. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> remember that. I remember pounding on the stage. That is a venue I miss so yeah. much. I saw so many great bands at the Stanley Theater, and boy, I you know I, I'm surprised they don't use that facility as right. more of a rock. I saw live there. And, oh, really? Yeah, on their uh, Secret Samadhi tour. That was like one of the one times wow. they used the Benedum. The Benedum for a rock show. For a rock show. Yeah. And Springsteen's played there a few times. Yeah, they. but I mean, you're talking live. Yeah. That's a great band. No doubt. Talk about a band that's, whew, they're, they're amazing. Right, Love them. Right, 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 right. Um, but yeah, that they used the Benedum for that show. And I was just like, wow, that was, they were incredible. That, that, that venue just had such great sight lines and such great acoustics. Uh, yeah, I miss that. That Kiss show in 83, it was March of 83, and I remember, like, I could see, it was so freaking loud in there. I remember, I, I, I looked like there was parts of the plaster falling yeah. off the ceiling. There. Loudest show you've ever seen. I'll interview you now. <laughs> Probably that night. Really? Yeah. Alda Nova, for Alda me. Alda Nova, where at? Yeah, at Stanley Theater. Oh, get out. Oh, it was, I, I thought my rib cage was going <laughs> to crack in half. It was so loud. <laughs> you know, he comes out and his life is just a fantasy and a and it was like, Are you in whoa. front or like, where were you positioned at? But I probably- were you side stage? Center stage, maybe 10, 12 rows back. But it how was, do you do it even when you work gigs? Like when you, let's say you go up there and you talk before the show and you're- Oh you're, no, I was in college. I was, this uh, was a college show. Okay, but okay, I mean, okay. It, it was, I mean, people were leaving. Because it was so loud. It was so loud and yeah. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And I wear earplugs now to every show. Yeah. Um, but I remember my husband going back to the sound guy and saying, what are you doing? You're, you're gonna you're something's gonna, wrong. So, something's wrong. He's way too loud. I mean, it it it, it literally hurt your chest. Yeah. It, it was gets terrible. scary a little oh, bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I government mule Warren Haynes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Saw him at the um, uh, where Metropole used to be. Um, whatever they call Rosebud. Rosebud mm-hmm. Where's just concrete and steel in that yeah, place, right? Right. Loudest. One of the loudest things I ever seen. Wow. Too loud. Uh, one of the best shows I ever saw at Metropole was Gino Vanelli. Oh my of all God. people. <laughs> And I swear they took why all, why was it one of the best shows you ever saw all day to get that sound just impeccable okay. for him because I went in there like oh I love Gino Vanelli yeah well, what a place but to like, see a show yeah, yeah. it's like it's because you know, the 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 sound just bounced off everything because of like all the metal and stuff but they must have worked all day on that he sounded fabulous really fabulous uh, any any show I've seen uh, with Warren Zevon love him. oh Warren Zevon yeah great, saw him at I think it was at the ballroom of the Syria Mosque and he had Don Henley's backup band from End of the Innocence and impeccable what a great night of music that was I mean they were so good the band was so good because a lot of times he'll just come by himself okay. play his piano play guitar okay. whatever or he'll have just a small group of people yeah. but he had Don Henley's band from the end of the Innocence album wow. from Don Henley's tour and oh man they were just incredible what an incredible night of music 
I had two really wonderful shows. They were embarrassing for the artist because no one came. Oh. It was junior era. Do you remember the Joe Walsh show of 90 at the Siri Moss basement? I think yes, yes. No he was hammered. Showed. Oh. He, he, the opening act was a someone related to the Eagles who went up and did acoustic. Did you I'm <sighs> peg your memory now? Do you remember who that Don't was? Don't remember who that it was. It was a songwriter for the Eagles who was touring with him and was actually performing some acoustic. And it was say wonderful. J.D. Souther, but I've never seen it J.D. Souther. It was wonderful. Yeah. But was he hammered that night? Because if I, it's the same night I'm thinking, we went backstage to meet him and he put his head down on the table. The in, Confessor tour. No, in, no, no, no. That would have been years later. Didn't talk prior. to anybody. Really? And then his manager kind of came in and looked at all of us and we're all like, what, what is the, I, honestly, his head has head down the whole time and he'd mumble a couple of things and then he got up and left and we're all like, <laughs> what, what just happened? And then my husband saw him at, if I'm, if I'm, I'm thinking this is the same tour. My husband saw him at Farm Aid okay. in Indianapolis and saw him walking down the street and says, Hey Joe, Pittsburgh. Last week or a couple of weeks ago, and he turned around. and goes, "Ma'am, I'm really sorry." And just walked away. <laughs> Is that what so, he said? So really? He's like, so oh, he "Ma'am, I'm really he, sorry." <laughs> I, I, he signed That's a funny. he signed a poster for us, That's and the poster funny. is is him with like long hair, and it's very yellow looking. Okay. And he made some comment about, "Well, I'm really jaundice." And he signed it, and then he put his head down, and everybody's like, "What? What is going on here?" <laughs> yeah, very bizarre. Christy McVie came solo too. Um, I never she, saw her solo when she had left Fleetwood Mac, and I think it was a Syria Mosque, and I think two hundred and ten people showed her. So it was, but she, to her credit, ultimate ultimate professional, didn't cancel the gig, went through, played the whole sure. thing. It was great. I mean, it was you great. know, it was great. Those two hundred ten people paid to see you, so. Yeah. Uh, unless it's something where you're 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 losing a ton of money, and if you don't cancel it, you know it, it's going to be bad. Go on with the show. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've seen Joe Perry come out on stage oh. with the Joe Perry Project and lean up against the 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 Marshall amps with a cigarette in his hand, and the cop came out and wrote him a ticket right on stage because you're not allowed. This wouldn't have been to Mancini's. Would have been in no. Rocks. This was a, this was um, okay. I believe at the the Syria Mosque Ballroom. Okay. Or the Stanley Theater Ballroom, one of those two. And yeah, he came, Star Trackers was the name of the place. Okay. And he came out and gave him a ticket right there. I've seen, um, oh gosh, who was it? Uh, he, he fell asleep on stage. Mick Jones, was it? Wait, what? <laughs> he fell asleep on who stage. Who was it? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I can't think, remember who it was. Oh my gosh. But yeah, he leaned against the stage. He leaned against, and he, he was like passing out. It's like, dude, what are you doing? You know? Oh my gosh. I can't remember who it was. Oh gosh! No, it's gonna it's gonna drive me crazy. I'll be driving home. That's all right. Oh, That's all right. Was. That's all right. Yeah, but yeah, I've seen some real bizarre stuff. Do you like small halls? I do. I do. I saw Living Color there in like oh yes, 89. absolutely. It was the under. It was the what was the basement of the mosque called? The basement or the ballroom? What was the the it was if Star Trekkers was the Stanley Theater ballroom the ba- ba- basement of the ballroom or the no they made it smaller okay and then it was the Stanley Theater ballroom I was at that show I was actually backstage like kind of off to the side of the stage when Corey Glover wore those body suits those uh, the crowd surfing bodies oh it was it was insane and I remember him coming over and he remember he wore the high tops kind of un- undone <laughs> and he kicks his shoes off and he he looks at a gang of us from the station he goes watch this. And he just starts running towards the end of the stage, and his stage guy just did this and catapulted him with one foot up into the crowd. And it was just talk about stage diving. That was like, and to see that from my angle mm. was like, 
wow, dude, yeah. you could you could broke your neck. That that band was a force. Oh yeah, they were a they force. were really and they good. They opened for the Stone Steel yes. Wool Tour, yep. and it, it, it's the, I think the venue there, there or as the stadium, you lost a little bit of oh yeah of their power. Right. I mean, they were they were good. They were really good. I, I, I agree with Joe that. Joe Perry played his first time, I think, at Mancini's. Might have been the project. Yeah, that yeah. was, but that wasn't. I saw Queen's Reggae at Mancini's. Yeah. in '84. Did so you ever see that? Pat, Pat Travers at Mancini's. Boom, boom, out goes the light. Yeah, open for a Rush. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Pat uh, Travers. Yeah, Pat Travers. I, I saw him there, and then I saw him at the Icy Light Amphitheater. Oh my gosh! Where I was in the front row, and he turns around and he says to uh, his band, "All right, let's boom, boom their little asses off." And then he, jumps, <laughs> yeah, then he starts into boom, boom, I got the lights. And I was like, "Oh, come when, when, you know, when a song has that kind of feel for an artist, you kind of look like, oh man, he hates playing this, you know? It's like, well, they they pay, they want to hear, you know. Yeah. I'm to the point now where yeah. I would give my right arm to hear." Hollow Notes come out and just play a bunch of eclectic stuff. No man eater, no. Yeah. You know, if I had the money, right, to hire them to do it, and and, and hire them to just play. Here's the songs I want to hear. I don't care. Just play anything other than your hits. I know them all. I'd be, I'd be, I would die happy. You know, because I always go to their. Everybody's like, why do you keep going to see them? I'm like, because there's there's those times where. Um, they do pull out well, sure. like three or four because songs. Because they get bored too, probably the same oh, set absolutely. list all the time. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, you look at Springsteen, like he always mixes it up all the time. You know, I'm sure that does get boring for them to play the same stuff over and over and over again. That's always what okay. I'd like to ask an artist, but I would never dare do yeah. that. Say, what's the one song you wish you would never have to play again? You know, that's yeah. kind of insulting, but I, I often wonder that. DVE went through a funky stage, I think, right before you got there. I'm a fan of, of the, to me, as a lot of my friends in the mid-'80s, we didn't understand what was going on because the DVE we knew growing up was probably the same DVE you knew as a young person, which sure. was Zeppelin and yeah. Boston and Four and all these right. bands. And then it was not uncommon to hear Phil Collins solo oh, yeah. stuff in, to, right. in 84 right. or, or maybe Bruce Springsteen. Which, Susu Studio. Yeah. Yeah, or she's an easy lover or stuff right. like that yeah. on DVE. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it it seemed like DVE got their grip again later in the Did you see an evolution there or did DVE just kind of go with what was the trend of music was in society? I know it's a loaded question, but there it seemed like and Hirsch kind of said, "Yeah, we went through periods of oh, sure. poppy eras." Every radio station does because you're 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 trying to get you know, re- ad revenue. You're, you're trying to make money. You want the better ratings you have, the more people you can please okay. with whatever you're doing. That means you can sell that book if you're number one in, in the market. Okay, you can sell that to advertising agencies, and then hey, all these clients come on board because they're going to get the most bang for their buck. You know, that's pretty much how that works. So, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I think I think a lot of radio stations go through that. It depends on the program director. It depends okay. on their vision, what okay. what they think is most important. Okay. Um, um, it was just odd because B ninety four, you could hear the same Bruce Springsteen oh, absolutely. song. Absolutely, yeah. Hear on I, I know and that was weird. To I know us. what you're. I know what you're saying. It was just DVE. Yeah. You know, like right, and and a lot of times that has to do with with you know. The program director and their vision on what they think the station should be doing sometimes, you know. So maybe the maybe the X was a wake up call to DV at that time. Was it? Do you think to some degree? Double X, you mean? Double X. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the the program director at that time would call me and 
you know, try to, you know, get me to tell him what songs we were playing and stuff. And I'm like, I'm on the air. I'm like, I don't have time to sit here and chit chat. I think I know who you are. So, you know, do your really? own, ho- do your own homework. Oh yeah. yeah do yeah. your own market research. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I don't, I can't imagine how hard, difficult that job had to be being a program director. I'm sorry. An outsider looking in, that seems like an incredibly oh, no, difficult job. No. And a good program director is at least somebody who's been on the air. Mm-hmm. You know, who's who's had, um, I think a good general manager, a good program director are people that have actually been a part of what it takes to be on the air. Okay. You know, because they have a better vision of what what your job is like when you are on the air and, you know, we're the connection to the people that listen. We're the connection to the people that, you know, pick up the phone and um, call about a song that they don't like right. or, you right. know. Um, right, like let's say for Christmas, you know, um, baby, it's cold outside. Now all of a sudden, that's that's in, in you know, well, I get been, it. It's been being played since the forties. <laughs> like now we're now we're just paying attention to this, you know. But um, you know, but you're the how you handle that caller and how you handle that person mm-hmm. makes a big difference, sure you know. Does. And and how the program director handles it if it goes above you just saying, you know what, I'll be sure to let my, my, my boss know that, you, you know, okay. your, your concerns about this song or this promotion that we're doing or whatever. I mean, we had did, we did some pretty crazy stuff at DVE, you know, um, you know, what was it like somebody getting pregnant? That was something that we did. Um, I remember flying, uh, a listener to that. We, we drove them in a limo to Cleveland to see Robert Plant. And then that person got to fly back on Robert Plant's private Plant. limo with Robert Plant back to Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh show. How cool is I that? mean, we did a lot of really cool things, but you know, for some stuff, you know, um, maybe something we did was the undie 500, mm-hmm. for example, you know, people stripping down into their underwear and running around a bar, drinking milk and people having to, you know, put deodorant on I them or what. I remember. But I remember some stuff like that, you know, maybe people would be like, oh, that's not very appropriate, you know, or whatever. So that's where the program director steps in and explains to that person that, hey, you Got know, it. here's why we're doing it. Yeah. yeah whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. but I think when, when a program director has been on the air or even a general manager has been on the air, um, they, they understand what our job is all about and they have a better feel for it. Okay. Well, what are your thoughts on radio going forward in the year 2020? What is the, what is the medium? Let's what say is it? 2021. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say, let's just say starting in 2021. Yeah. Let's say, this is a, this year's a mistake. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I honestly, Eric, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I, 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 I don't know. It's, um, um, it, the business isn't what it used to be. Right. It's um, but then again too, we're talking about people and how they listen to their music, mm-hmm. and how they get their music, um, where they get their information from. Everything is on your phone, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. Apps, right? Right. Why do you want to listen to, um, you know, this particular song, or an artist that one radio station plays a lot of, let's say, um, Taylor Swift or yeah. The Who or Led Zeppelin or whatever, when you can actually download an app and, and listen to whatever songs you want to or listen to your own music on, on your phone yeah. or we're serious you know well, the we satellite radio we always had choices though right radio fought through all of that right it just probably wasn't easily accessible right you had a cassette right. or you right. had an 8 track exactly. player or whatever yeah downloading changed, changed it but it still took 20 years for it to get to this point sure now. absolutely absolutely but with technology that's where I think while technology is great mm-hmm. for so many different things technology is um, you know kind of putting a, 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 a throwing a real monkey wrench into into radio because hmm. um, they don't need me yeah you know 
they can have somebody else do something from another city and voice track and that's happening you know, a lot huh like yeah. these, mm-hmm. these radio stations are broadcasting remotely or their things are taped or just sure the and human... there's a lot of people that are doing you know multiple radio stations across the country you know interesting yeah so they're you know it's it's lost its um personality maybe or it's okay. lost its um, yeah i'd say personality or um the passion okay you know i mean like we just a bunch of us got together from dve not too long ago and it was all about oh my gosh do you remember doing this and doing that and it was i mean we were a family we went out we bowled together we went out eating together we went right. to each other's weddings and all that type of stuff and now it's like there's not that many people in a lot of radio stations anymore so you don't have that camaraderie you don't have um, you know, when somebody's voice tracking from another city, we don't even know that person. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's 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 lost a lot of its um, technology's done that, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, for every good thing technology can do, you know, um, when when you know you first start in radio, at least when I first started, we we're playing records, yeah, and then it moved to unbelievable um, cassette or not cassettes, uh, CDs, right? And now everything's on a computer. So if the screw up happened before screw up more than likely was on me or record skipping or whatever right. you couldn't leave the studio whereas now you can the computer once you hit the computer you can walk away for hours yeah the whole you know, thing if you wanted to up. yeah you know so there was something so organically beautiful though about uh, being a listener to your favorite radio station knowing there's another human being there oh sure and administered and there was screw ups like a record would go oh, absolutely there, you know or, or you put the you had to go to the bathroom but you put the wrong record on the wrong song it didn't last long enough there was a dead right. space <laughs> right right or kick into the next song and you, while you're running back like, to track is this? back to the studio you're hoping the f-bomb's not gonna happen I've, i can't tell you how many times that's happened yeah but, i always wondered about that too there, yeah. yeah there were certain classic songs that you folks left them in i love yeah that, like the who had a Oh yeah. Well, back then it was before the whole Janet Jackson thing. That kind of stuff kind of was able to slip through. Yeah. Once the whole Janet Jackson Super Bowl thing came, that 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 to me was a a, that's when radio really took a really bizarre turn because everything was, you know, we had to watch what we said. Um, I had a slip up on DVE, um, which so many people know about. I'm not going to mention it, but if I would have. And my, I was on the DVE morning show and I was talking about Lloyd Bridges passing okay. away yeah. and he was in the television show Sea Hunt uh-huh. and his, his name was Mike Nelson. So you, you do the math, <laughs> but I wrote it on my script like that. That's how I wrote it is what I said. And when I caught myself, everybody looked at me and was like, I was as red as that light over there. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, Aren't you guys on delay. And uh, no, we weren't. No. There was no delay. No, we weren't on delay. A five seconds or anything. No. Uh-uh. Wow. Okay. Not then. No. Okay. So, okay. Um, but I mean, I wrote that on my script like that. I didn't do it to be funny. I didn't do it. it. I didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was mortified. Yeah. And then I go to the, like a week or two later, I mean, everybody's talking about it. Oh my gosh. I'm like, they're calling me at home. I heard you today. I'm like, oh gosh, my mother wasn't listening, you know? And then here I'm in the St. Patrick's Day parade That's great. and I'm up through this limo waving and everybody's like, hey, Chris. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. My husband's like, oh, he goes, he goes, that's all you're ever going to be known for. Well, as it turns out, if that would have happened after uh-huh. the Janet Jackson thing, I probably would have lost my job immediately. Wow. There was no, there was no wow. They didn't care if it was a mis- it was an honest mistake, and that's how I wrote it. I, I didn't do it to be funny. It, it's just because I even like stumbled after I said yeah, it, and yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 and everybody looked at me. I'm like, oh my god, 
Yeah. Did I just say that? Oh, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's one of my greatest radio moments. But um, nowadays, yeah. it, had that happened after Janet Jackson and the Super Bowl thing and the the, the wardrobe malfunction, everything changed. How we approach things. Now we had a we have to have we were having to have um, uh, meetings with you know we had a almost like like what's proper now with the Me Too movement you know yeah, 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 knowing right. what's inappropriate and what's appropriate. Yeah, well the whole society's you know, changed. Exactly, but yeah. that kind of was where I thought radio started to turn a little weird. You know, it wasn't as as loose as it was before. Now things were you know managers and owners were being a little bit more uh you know being a little bit more tight with us as far as what we were allowed to talk about or what we were allowed to say yeah it has, it has to be different i can't imagine scott paulson would have as much fun today you know on a daily day and ba- day out basis right if he was right doing right that type of show because yeah. the limitations have to be there sure absolutely they have to be there absolutely absolutely my friend this was incredible well thank you for having me i want to know uh if you can share how these wonderful folks can reach you they can reach out to you. Uh, you can find me on, uh, I'm on Twitter at Chris Winter. That's C-R-I-S-W-I-N-T-E-R. No S at the end of the name. No H in the bit in the in the first name. 412. So everything's 412. Okay. My Twitter account is that. My Instagram account is that. My uh, uh, Facebook page is Chris Winter in the morning. Yes. And uh, I didn't change that it because. It took me a while to figure that one out, but I, I figured well, it out. I didn't change it because so many people knew that's <laughs> right. where I was. So right. I didn't want to mess it up and, right. and, and lose people. So, um, but I do most of my crazy posting about rock stories or uh you know concert tickets and uh you know just general things about i do a lot of pop culture things television shows and things like that movies um a lot of nostalgia and and that's where you can find that and that's chris winter in the morning it's c-r-i-s winter on facebook on facebook yeah but i would love to have you back oh absolutely and actually if you ever want to send me an email it's chris winter 412 at gmail.com chris winter no h no S at the end. Oh, you talked to Sean, Sean McDowell. <laughs> Chris Winters. I'm like, Sean, that never happened. I never had anybody mess up my name until I started hanging with Sean. Now it's like Chris Winters. I'm like, no, it's just Winter. Singular. Singular. <sighs> Go figure, right? Yeah. So it's been the bane of my existence. Thanks, Mom, for taking that H out of my name. Appreciate it. My friend, thank you. Absolutely. It was an thank honor you. to have you here. Yeah, you have to have Sean come in. I would love to have Sean. I'd like to have you both on. we got two other seats over here. Okay. We'll talk. I'll work on that. We'll talk. I'll work on that. All right, friends. We are. See ya. Out. Bye.